For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcast. Now then, a look at the morning papers. This is Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Prendival Show. Neil returning at nine o'clock next Monday morning. And I will be probably interrupting the uh, paper review to take our first call with uh, somebody who's under time pressure. Sa- uh, stay safe, daddy, is the uh, Echo's front uh, page headline today. Olympian and TV star bids farewell to family in Cork and heads back to the Ukraine and Army Reserve. A Ukrainian star was at the centre of heartbreaking scenes in Yall yesterday after having to say goodbye to his wife and young family for the second time since they fled war. Dmitry Cherkazov was able to make it back to his family for two weeks after receiving a military pass to collect food and medical aid for soldiers on the front line. And the community of Yall had come together to gather as many supplies as possible in support of the family. But now he's en route home among a convoy of other vehicles providing aid to the country. And this comes, of course, as news has been confirmed that a 23-year-old Irishman uh, has died uh, on the front lines in Ukraine. The Echo front page also has chemicals cause drinking water to discolor. Chemicals used in the preparation of drinking water were responsible for sediment coming loose in the water mains. Okay, causing recent incidents of discoloured drinking water. You'll have heard it on the news anyway, but Irish Water did not respond to a question uh, asking precisely what chemicals had been used. But the company said the health of customers was the company's first priority. Bit of a sop, isn't it? Uh, But for several months, residents in multiple locations across the city have reported discoloured water coming from their taps. What's in the pipes that's bringing the water all the time if the the chemicals uh, dislodged it? Incidents of brown or orange drinking water date to at least early June when Churchfield residents complained of discoloured water coming from their drinking supply. Parents urged not to buy children's scramblers amid Garda's constant battle. Parents are being urged not to buy scramblers for their children to aid Garda and Cork in their constant battle against the misuse of such vehicles. Fianna Fáil councillor Tony Fitzgerald made the appeal at the most recent meeting of the Cork City Joint Policing Committee, the JPC. The main point is to ask parents not to buy the scramblers, particularly coming up to Christmas. There's a huge uh, issue in terms of prevention here and we need to address the issue. Superintendent Declan O'Sullivan and Nash's Boreen said Nash's Boreen has been one location flagged to Gordy and Cork in relation for the misuse of scramblers and that Gardy have experienced a lot of success cracking down on the issue. Uh, with extra patrols in the area. What exactly is a scrambler? Let's look that one up, actually. Is it a motorised little four-wheel thing or something? Um, And the Echo also has man accused of taxi robberies, refused bail. Two Cork City taxi drivers were robbed at Knife Point on Sunday night. It was alleged as Gardaí objected to bail being granted to a young Buttovan-based man. Jake Sheeran was brought before Cork District Court, charged with two counts of robbery, uh, robbery. Liam Halen. Uh, reporting in uh, today's Echo. Just 27% trust Sinn Féin to tackle the crisis in the cost of living. This is the Mail's front page today. Just 27% of the public believe Sinn Féin can tackle the cost of living crisis compared with 37% for the coalition government. Uh, An Irish Daily Mail and Extra.ie poll by Amorak has found... 1,500 adults uh, carried out the uh, survey or were were used in the survey, uh, which found support for Sinn Féin's ability to solve the crisis varied hugely according to age. Check it out on the Mail's front page. The Mirror has electric or treat. 
the first of uh, the uh, 200 euro energy payments for every home in the country will be handed out at Halloween with the others in the first months of next year. The plan is to have the second of the 200 euro credits land at the end of January with the final credit bringing the total to 600 scheduled for the last week of March. Taoiseach Michal Martin has revealed that groups who had been left out of the payouts when they were first introduced in April, like people living full-time in mobile homes, would be brought into the scheme this time. And Fine Gael TD Fergus O'Dowd told the Doyle he knew of pensioners that were living in mobile homes and hadn't got the credit last time round. Uh, Mr Martin replied, the Minister did bring forward proposals to Cabinet this morning in the broader area of the energy credit and uh, we're looking at certain categories that fall outside the framework and can facilitate the easy way and mechanisms to dispense uh, the money. Uh, right, uh, just on time at uh, a quarter past nine. I'll take a break in the uh, paper review and come back to it uh, after we speak to Billy Callagher. You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork, The Neil Prendeville Show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FM. And good morning, Billy Kelleher, MEP. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're available only at quarter past nine and only uh, for a certain amount of time. Uh, you're a Fianna Fáil spokesperson and you've uh, campaigned for address as you were a Fianna Fáil spokesperson uh, for address for the thalidomide sufferers. So we, we referred people to the Scanal programme uh, which aired last night on RTE1 and I know there are certain um, affected um, citizens uh, travelling to Dáil Éireann today to make their own uh, case once again but we're 60, 61 years on now and um, did you see the programme Billy or did you have an advanced look at it? I had um, a look at it last night and again this morning I, I, I went through it. It's very difficult watching being truthful um, to just highlight um, you know, the devastating impact that um, the lack of a decision can make uh, or the lack of oversight can make on, on citizens' lives and certainly from that perspective you know, when you look at the, the, the children that were born with the deformities and the disabilities, but then when you look back and you realise how many mothers um, have gone to their grave, you know, carrying that guilt in some cases uh, forever with them, uh, really makes for, for, for difficult uh, emotional um, watching, you know. Yeah, now the programme necessarily uh, concentrated on the, the victims, if you like, if, you know, those who are carrying the deformities because of the was it the Senatol or Sentinel drug? Anyway, thalidomide, uh, that their mothers took as a sleeping aid, but which remained on the shelves here for a long time after it was withdrawn elsewhere. The programme really didn't and probably couldn't. There are only five surviving mothers, never concentrated on the hardships, the mental anguish, the guilt uh, that those mothers carried, most of them now gone, uh, through their lives for something that was essentially not their fault. Yes, I mean, I've met with uh, survivors um, over over a number of years. I was a Fianna Fáil spokesperson uh, some years ago, so I would know Fanola Cassidy well. I would know others over the years. Um, sadly, five uh, mothers are, are still with us on earth uh, that um, took uh, thalidomide, uh, softening as it was known then in, in Ireland. And, um, you know, we've five mothers left, um, and some of them have been uh, speaking publicly in, in recent times. But I think the underlying fact is when you look at the programme, you look at this at, at the analysis of the state's involvement or lack of, there's no doubt there was negligence at, at, at all levels. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact of the matter is uh, the, the Food and Drug Administration of the US hadn't authorised it, uh, even when it became very evident from Germany and elsewhere 
that you know taking thalidomide could have profound implications on the on, on the on the pregnancy um, and on the fetus and thereafter on, on the child themselves if born alive um, you know was known and we still didn't act swiftly in terms of taking it off. In fact, even when we knew there was challenges and difficulties with us, uh, we were still very reluctant to make statements on it as a state. Now, I'm talking about 1961, 62, but still the state, in my view, should be obligated. The basic principle of a government and of a state of any one day is to mind its citizens, to keep its citizens safe. And on this occasion, uh, we certainly did not do that. Okay, uh, but and that's why I believe we have to move to the next level of uh, the apology of making sure that there's, um, you know, a compensation. But the most important thing is that the state apologizes because they did wrong to these women and to the children born. Okay, as the, as the program pointed out last night, um, the, this drug was available over the counter, and the state resisted any compensation to the point of making the anguished mothers prove that they took. Is it softenol? Um, I'm just going to keep calling it thalidomide. But the state actually looked for receipts for what was an over-the-counter drug many, many years following. Um, and, and then almost seemed to deny justice to those who very patently had uh, been afflicted, the, the sufferers from the thalidomide, the, the, the children, uh, in, in not, not acknowledging their diagnosis. It's almost as if they tried to escape the compensation route that these people justfully deserved. Yes, I mean, if you look at the program, again, if you just look at the history of it, even outside the program um, and how this has evolved to the point where we now have people in the high courts uh, suing the state, um, it, it almost looked at at every step, the state tried to do everything uh, to, you know, put blockages and obstacles in front of these people uh, right since 1970s uh, onwards, where there's been no effort by the state, in, in my view. And we now have a situation where we have an adversarial approach to people whose lives were damaged, uh, physically damaged, um, emotionally damaged, psychologically damaged, an impact on not just uh, the survivor themselves, but previously their mother, their other siblings. Like these, This had a profound impact on many people. And I just don't believe that we can dismiss it and send people down to the high courts to be in a, an adversarial uh, you know, a, a way with people that really just want the state to accept its role and to, to compensate in a manner that will allow them to get on with their lives at the end of their days. It, there's a small group of people, I think it's about 46 in all. And if we can't, as a country, address that, acknowledge the wrong done, done and move on, well then it's a very sad day for our country. And most importantly for some of the, uh, the survivors, if you like, of uh, thalidomide, they want an exoneration for, for their mothers. Only five living, but most of them now dead. And, and if that exoneration has to come posthumously, then so be it. But they need it. Well, yes. I mean, you know, we, we have exonerated people uh, in previous times because, uh, you know, something uh, was unearthed that showed evidence that they didn't commit a crime. Um, uh, new evidence came to being. We exonerated pe- people posthumously. So I, I think that there's no difficulty whatsoever in the government um, making an apology and then offering uh, compensation to those that are still with us in terms of the challenges that they have because of their disability. Uh, and th- that in itself, I think, would be a very positive step for the government to do. In other words, there would be the apology, the acknowledgement of the wrong. But equally, you know, mothers went to the grave thinking that they had done something terrible, when in effect they were 
probably advise at the time, and uh, certainly there was advertising campaigns around this um, uh, drug, thalidomide. It was uh, marketed as soften in, in Ireland. Um, you know, it was one of the biggest selling drugs across uh, the world for a period of time in 1959-60. It became very evident that there was difficulties in terms of the deformities uh, the, the uh, in, in babies being born, some uh, also miscarriages. And yes, we were so reluctant. And even when we did withdraw it, we certainly didn't want to discuss the issue um, in terms of the department uh, collating its figures, its data, its statistics on on people with thalidomide uh, deformity. And nobody, nobody spoke about it. And they just wanted to sweep it under the carpet. It doesn't deserve to be swept under the carpet. These are our neighbours, our friends, they're Irish citizens, and the state let them down. We have an obligation to address mm. it. Billy, we, li- we live in more enlightened times, of course, but the programme also uh, laid bare the fact, uh, you know, that in 1960, 61, 62, women were not a vocally potent force in this country. They were all a little subservient to the male cohort and that the country itself, including its politicians, was under the cosh of the church, if you like, that the church wielded, um, you know, irrational power or certainly uneven power over the psychology, the minds and the actions of not just the citizens here, uh, but of our government. So uh, the women were on a losing battle here straight away, you know, because they, they hadn't yet got the liberty they enjoy today to be as vocal and to have that expression. Uh, the program also pointed out that, you know, families were quite large at that time. And a lot of that to do, was to do with church te- teaching and the respect that people had for the church. Different times now. Uh, but these women also need that exoneration and the fact that, you know, we're, I don't know how the cloak and dagger of this works out. You're, you're a politician. Will, will the compensation be agreed behind closed doors first? Then will come the apology, knowing that it's not going to rip the state apart financially. Uh, and then, you know, everything can be kind of smoothed over. They're, they're not asking for much. They're not asking for much because an apology is just a formal acceptance by the state that it did wrong to these people. But, that it but isn't it, that's also an admission, though, if, if for any reparation, it, it, isn't it? It is. But bear in mind, we have 46 people uh, alive today that probably... Um, were affected by by taking um, because their the mothers took the thalidomide, so it's not a huge number, but it's certainly still our our, our neighbours, our, our our you know Irish people living in this country that should have been protected by the state. So I just think that you know you make the apology and then you say to the public administration, you say to the department, you say to the the, the state claims agency, you you say to the attorney general as a government, we need to address this issue. Like we can forever put up blockages. Uh, and, and obstacles, or we can try and take down those barriers and give these people, uh, you know, so a, a form of compensation that will allow them to get on with their lives. Uh, that's what I'm saying should happen. I believe it should happen. And when you look at the Scunnel uh, documentary, and when you read the other evidence and documentary evidence over the last number of years, that that, that would be the case. And, and you are right. I mean, if you look back historically, women in the 50s and 60s, there was a huge amount of poverty. Um, a lot of people are still living in tenements. Um, you know, um, women were leaving school early, um, very large families, nobody advocating for them. Uh, church doctrine at the time was very dictatorial. It was very dismissive of women's um, role in, in, in society. Um, the state was also very dismissive of women's role in society as well. Uh, so, I mean, there was very little to advocate uh, or very few avenues for women to advocate. And it wasn't until the 70s and maybe the, uh, you know, the, the march towards uh, a more uh, secular society and where w- women found their 
um, their, their voice and where societies have to open up. If, that, if this happened now, let's be honest, they wouldn't be treated as shamefully. They wouldn't be treated as shamefully mm. as, as, as they were back then. And I believe um, we should be looking at it through the, not through uh, the prison, a historical prison, but look at it. What would we do now if it happened today? And we would apologise. And we would put in place measures and a, a fair compensation scheme to address the wrongs done to those people. Okay. Well said. Billy Keller, I know you have European Parliament business at 9.30, so thank you for taking that block of time when requested. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Billy. Thank you. Thanks. All the best. Billy Keller, her MEP. Now, a caller uh, has rang in to say thalidomide was used for morning sickness. Uh, and did I say it was as a sleeping tablet? Now, I realise uh, that the drug was uh, prescribed for morning sickness, but one of the sold benefits uh, of taking it uh, was that you'd get a very, very good night's sleep. Uh, a sleeping tablet was not its primary um, mission or ambition as a drug. Uh, it was for morning sickness, but one of the side effects which women taking it at, uh, at the time found beneficial was that it really did help you to get a good sleep. Now, line two, we have Peggy Murphy, who's 93 years young. Good morning, Peggy. Good morning. Now, you're one of the five mothers who took thalidomide that are still with us today. That's right. 93. What what year did you take it? 61, 62? Um, 61. 61. Yeah. Can I ask you, Peggy, and I know maybe with the passage of time it's easier to talk about, but but you're carrying the burden all these years to possibly a burden of guilt which should not be assigned to you because you, and all of the women, uh, you know, were taking medical advice and buy this, and even if you went back to a to a chemist at the time and, and rebought it over the counter, it was available when it shouldn't be. So ha- right. how how were the benefits of uh, of the drug sold to you medically? How how were the benefits? Yeah, what were the benefits you were told you'd have if you took it? Um, <clears throat> oh, it was supposed to be a brilliant drug for the sickness mm-hmm. this morning this morning sickness and. Um, I took 12 of the, of the, the tablets. Now, I was, uh, I was prescribed 24, and um, the chemist said to me, when uh, <coughs> you have those paid for now, she said, you'd forget about your sickness. So I said, why? And she said, they're <coughs> a shilling each to the pound that time. Right. And uh, there was a shilling for one tablet. So I said, uh, I said, give me 12. So she gave me the 12 and I took the 12. And that's what happened. Okay. So te- te- was it a normal nine months for you or eight months or whatever was left at that time? Um, I think I took it in the... the um, about the six month. Six month, okay. Yeah, um, the mothers that took it earlier on have are, are, are missing the limbs, but um, people that took it in the later months is affected the ear and the kidneys. No, his kidneys are all right, but he, he's missing his ear. Okay. Mm-hmm. On the program last night, uh, one of the mothers just took one tablet. Yeah, and I that know. one tablet caused serious yeah. deformities. That's right. Well, if I had taken the 24, he wouldn't have survived because he had to get oxygen when he was born mm. after the 12. 
So. Okay. So everything was going well until the birth? Yeah. How, how were you first told or how did you first know something was wrong? I'm, I'm telling you, um, when he was born, I didn't see a nurse or a doctor. Then for hours after, it was my husband told me. Mm-hmm. And what was noticeable? Oh, he's missing his ear. All um, the left side of his face is was, was, affected. He's missing his ear and he has facial paralysis. And um, his eye is affected. And um, they said that his, his hip, well, I don't know if his hip, but they said something wrong with his hip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got the impression from watching the Ortiz scandal last night that a lot of the mothers never made the connection that they just felt it was the God's will or bad luck or whatever oh, you, oh, you yeah, want to call right. it. Yeah. How long did it take you and your husband to make the connection between those 12 tablets and, and what happened? How long did it take me? Oh, <laughs> years. <laughs> and, and at that stage, Martin, your son, yeah. tell, tell me what was going on in your lives to make his life as good as possible? <clears throat> well, um, he went to he he went to Dublin when he was six. He went up to the, the school for deaf in Dublin, and that was horrific. He was in in Dublin from six to sixteen, I think. Mm. Difficult times. Yeah, desperate. How old is he now? About 57, 58? Oh, he's 61. 61. Sorry, yeah. my maths isn't good. 61. Yes. And to this day... And I, I mind him 61 years. <laughs> you're minding him 61 years? Yeah. Wow. To this day, have you ever had any financial assistance from the state? Obviously, uh, all of the, the victims of the thalidomide drug had uh, or were entitled to medical cards, etc., um, but yes, you, you've, you, you and your husband have mostly carried that financial burden and that heavy heart uh, and that, you know, that striving to make his life yes, as good that, as possible right. for many, many years. It never goes away. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, Peggy, as I heard you say in, in, in an interview on national radio, you're in the autumn of your years and that brings mm-hmm. worry. Yeah. Well, he's very independent. Like, and um, he has uh, brothers and sisters that are very good to him, but uh, it's still a worry. So the, the escalation of this campaign, I, I believe, is beginning today with, with um, visits to Dáil Éireann and, uh, you know, yeah. things being presented and common sense being asked to be deployed by yeah. the government. A, a simple admission of apology. Uh, okay. It's generations gone by po- politically as well, so nobody... Yeah. Nobody in, in government today is at any fault, but retrospective apology is needed uh, mm-hmm. and some sort of reparation to make sure that Martin and the other, uh, is, it, um, is it 40? Um, thir- 32, I think. 32 survivors 32, left. Yeah. And you're one of five mums. Yeah. Do, do, do the five mums stay in touch? Has it been a sort of a, a get-together group now and again, a support well, group? Um, I use, but... Uh, and getting told now for travelling to Dublin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
overall, Peggy, in your life, has this been the dominating factor? It has. Would you say it's ruined your life? I did. Mm-hmm. Up to this day. I'll take it to my grave. <laughs> but you don't want to go to your grave, you know, without having the certainty. I, I know. That Martin has the financial independence, yeah, not, not to have to depend on his siblings. Yeah, I, I can't understand why they won't give us an apology. And in essence, well, what what do you think was wrong? The fact that somebody dropped the ball when, when, when this drug was withdrawn from shelves across Europe and allowed it to continue on sale for, what, 12, 16, 18 months here in That's Ireland? That's right. Um, um, in Brendan Corrish and uh, Dr. John O'Connell, they formed a sort of um, committee and uh, <coughs> they invited all the two German doctors Mm-hmm. to test uh, all the babies and uh, it was from then it was known uh-huh. now, now the drug was manufactured by a German company called Grunenthal GmbH which is limited and uh, th- there was some reparation made to those who, who were clinically diagnosed as having suffered from the uh, yeah. thalidomide but not everybody was the state kind of to my knowledge blocked the clinical diagnosis oh, of others. To maybe everything I remember, Erskine Childers. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to know about it. Wow. Didn't want to know anything about us. And there wasn't a word about it. It was swept. It wasn't, people didn't know anything about it. They didn't talk about it. <clears throat> it was horrendous. You've gone through a lot, Peggy. I have. 93 years of age and still looking after. Yeah, can, and still looking after him. <laughs> can, I, can I ask you about the guilt? Because I'm going to be hopefully talking to Fanola Cassidy uh, very shortly now as well. Oh, yeah. uh, and I, I'm, I'm sure she'll bring that up. Um, obviously, as a mother, you would have felt guilty for having taken the tablet. But essentially, there's no blame to be apportioned to you because it was 100% not your fault. <laughs> Did you ever feel guilty? Um, I suppose, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I suppose. I mean, it wasn't my fault. That was, and it wasn't my gynecologist's fault either, because I, anyone didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. How did society treat you? Badly. It was the will of God, and the pill wouldn't do that, and all this sort of thing. Yeah, such was the hold the church had on people's um, yeah. psyche and mentalities. That's right. Yeah. Did, did, did you ever feel that you were lied to because this drug, this wonder drug, was there for sale without prescription when it shouldn't have been? Well, I, had a, I had a prescription. Yeah, I, I know you had a prescription, but other, others could buy it over the counter. That's right. Yeah, and the fact that the medical profession were still recommending it uh, as, right. as not just an aid to sleep... Uh, but a wonder cure for morning sickness. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was desperate. What are you hoping for, Peggy? I would, my first priority is um, an apology. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want fair compensation. That um, I, won't be, I won't be around to, <laughs> to a long war. And um, if his health deteriorated or he had to go into a home or something... Um, I'd like to keep you secure for that. Mm-hmm. 
So for the five mothers still alive, this has to happen quickly. Yeah, it has. Just quite I know long enough, 61 it, years. Isn't it? Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Peggy, you're a brave woman, and you're even braver for coming on the radio at 93. <laughs> you're as sharp as a tack, by the way. <laughs> I know. I hope I'll get home for another bit. <laughs> all right, Peggy, we do too. Thank you so much for coming on the air this morning, yeah, and thanks thank for all you you've done much. for Martin and for, and for making... Uh, making the general public aware of just exactly what went on. I know, yeah. Yeah. You're very brave, Peggy. Thank you. Good morning. Yeah, t- thank you very much. All the best. Bye bye. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106. Red FM. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show, and I want to give a big warm welcome to Finola Cassidy, who is a survivor of thalidomide. One of the, the numbers are stark. There's only 40 survivors living. There's only five mothers still with us. Good morning, Finola. Good morning, Mick. Now, thank you for taking the time. I know you're on your way to Doyle and I know you have meetings beseeching the powers that be. Can I put it that way? Uh, to bring uh, a good end to this dreadful situation. You're also not only a survivor, uh, but you also are a member and representative of the Irish Thalidomide Association. This is, as, as you'll have heard Peggy say, this has been heartbreaking for 61 years with no admission of liability from anybody on essentially something tragic that happened that was not the involvee's fault. Is that fair enough to say? Oh, it's more than fair, Mick. And um, following last night's programme, I'm normally very cool, calm and collective about this campaign, but we are emotionally drained after viewing the programme last night. I think to look back and see from start to finish the historical saga, the historical journey, the very culpable and deliberate uh, efforts by the state at the time in the 60s not to withdraw the drug, to, to then allow that needless damage to so many children. And, and also, as you say to, to Peggy, we, we have very few mums left, of about five, and, and we hold them in great regard and high esteem. All, all our group do it as if they're still the mammies left to the rest of us. And I, I think anybody who saw that programme last night would say, what in God's name could take 60 plus years to bring to justice. It's actually unforgivable. Uh-huh. We've heard various apologies from various Taoiseach on various issues that have affected Irish society uh, through the fault of the state, and that's what an apology is for. This is a very small cohort of people. Uh, Peggy, by her own admission, doesn't have much time left. She's 93. She's in the autumn of her years. What, what are you looking for? Is the apology enough, or does financial reparation have to be given well, by the state to look after those few who are left? Okay, no, we've always campaigned on four pillars. And the first is for the state to acknowledge the wrong. And I think after last night's programme, they really have nowhere to hide on that. They absolutely had hand, act and part in the whole tragedy. So that's the acknowledgement. The second thing is the apology, because it means a lot to the mothers and to many survivors. Because we wouldn't have time to go into it all today, but the state failed at so many different junctures, you know, uh, legally, they never protected us as children in the court when, when some awards were made. Um, they're now blocking us after a nine-year court battle, uh, still in the High Court after nine years, trying to make us statute barred. So the apology for the way they have handled this tragedy is also very important. The third thing is, of course, that we, we do need 
fair and equitable com- compensation with, with a healthcare package that actually addresses a very unique need that we have going forward into the last remaining part of our life because we will be old and we have deteriorated already so much from the overuse and the misuse of our limbs. And then, of course, uh, you know, that disability and old age combination is going to be a challenge. And then I absolutely have to mention there are about 12 members of the Irish Thalidomide Association who have never been acknowledged as thalidomide survivors by the state. And this is absolutely unforgivable. We have tried our best to make it known across all the parties to the Taoiseach that the, if you like, the diagnosis of thalidomide has moved on leaps and bounds in the last uh, 10 and 15 years. And these people have had categorical diagnosis that their disabilities are caused by thalidomide by world experts, by geneticists, etc. And for the state to still not acknowledge those 12 people is unforgivable. So that's our four points. Acknowledge the wrong, apologise, fair compensation, and bring into the fold the bona fide previously unacknowledged survivors. Mm. It's not thousands, it's 12 people. It's not thousands, it's 40 survivors. It's not thousands, it's five mothers. The budget last weekend... You know, we we look back at things, for example, the blanket guarantee on COVID vaccines, etc. And yet the the state sits, you know, shoulder to shoulder in the courts against, you know, 40 of their own, the children of the state. Then you look at, you know, last week's budget on a further extension on medical cards and and, uh, GP cards, etc. And yet some of our thalidomide survivors have never, uh, especially the unacknowledged, have received nothing and nothing in the way, way of any healthcare package. Canola, can I move on to a personal note, if, if I can? How, how did thalidomide affect you? How did it affect your relationship with your mother? How are you now? Yeah, well, you know, I suppose I grew up nearly kept being told. I remember even a former Minister for Health telling me, oh, you're not as bad as the rest. I almost felt always that I was one of the lucky ones. You nearly had a certain guilt because you weren't as bad, you know, that you only had one set of arm, one part of your arms damaged. But um, it has been a challenge and everything you've done in your life all the way up, you just have to look at it differently and then do it your way. Mm-hmm. And I have to say the whole group have a tenacity and ability that is actually extraordinary in their ordinary lives. And I will count myself in that, but it has been a challenge. My relationship with my mom, I think it's not until you go through maybe a miscarriage or you know the death of, of, of close ones and everything that you realise that the loss to the mothers themselves. And I think they are the very forgotten group in all of this. They did live with, live with the guilt. And um, Peggy is there able to speak for herself. Some moms did speak to their children about it, but also in the Ireland of the day, some moms never actually had the conversation and they sort of internalised that and it, it added uh, distress, it added uh, health issues to them. And so I, I feel really, really sorry for the state of my moms. I, I think they are the heroes in the whole thing. Does it take, do you think, media attention and a programme of the strength and purport of of what we saw last night to jog the political machine into action? Well, we know as a group of 40 people who are almost invisible that it's almost impossible to jog the political machine. And it is certainly not from want of trying on our part. But I think nobody would be able to watch last night's programme and see just the, the way it has been, uh, uh, you know, brought along from beginning, middle and end to where we are at the present day and could possibly think that there wasn't, a, a, you know, a 
something that should be done, something that should have been done, and a total neglect of the children of the state. And, uh, you know, as I as I said, it, it just is time. I mean, we are so mentally and physically exhausted ourselves from the challenges that we're going through, but also having to wake up every morning and now campaign. Mm. It, it really has taken its toll, and it must stop. I'm reminded of uh, previous apologies and, you know, the shared culpability of the state and, for instance, the religious orders in the, the mother and baby homes apology. This is if it's proven. Uh, and it's kind of there in black and white. No proper recall in 1961 uh, when that happened across the water. Uh, the drugs that were causing the issues available here to 1963, the lack of proper advice, the lack of proper testing. Um, is this going to be a huge issue if the state takes sole responsibility uh, and maybe, and maybe it's too cruel a question, no money can, can bring back what you've lost. But are, are they worried this is going to be too large a payment because well, of what seems like the, the abject failure of the state to legislate for this, for this drug well, that I was mean, available over the counter? Yeah, Crazily. Your, your question is very valid, right? But you know what? Why don't they come and take a meeting with us? We had one half-hour meeting with Stephen Donnelly, and, and the main thing was we will only discuss uh, some healthcare needs and everything else is embargoed. You're not allowed to discuss you know, the court case, what happened. And so we're not getting a constructive uh, resolution, constructive uh, negotiation on any of the aspects. We need everybody to come into the room. And I have said this in front of parliamentary party meetings that I've addressed and just about every TD that's met me. This did not happen on their watch, but they are the custodians of the state's stance on where this is going to end. And so that's what fast forwards it to their watch now is the solution. And, you know, none of us really want to go down memory lane and to like who did what and when. It happened. Half of them weren't born then and they certainly weren't in power. And, you know, we are where we are. So is this the time? Is this program, this absolutely compelling evidence and program going to be the line drawn where people actually are brave enough to say, no matter who's responsible, the need is there, the justification is there. And that we just do it. And we need an official apology on behalf of our predecessors and on behalf of the country to the small, let's be fair, the very, very small cohort small, yeah. of and, and only 40 we left all, living. We all grew up in, in families where, you you know, if you did something wrong, you did apologise. It was the correct thing to do. It was the polite thing to do. And uh, it really does add insult to injury. And it's like a twisting of the knife, the way they are treating it. Mm. And it has to stop. The programme, where, where it's so compelling. I hope your, your, yes. visit, uh, your, your uh, listeners got to see it. I hope they got to understand the story. Fanola Cassidy, thank you very much for coming on and being so so forceful, I suppose, in, in your convictions. And I think those that are remaining, the 40 living survivors, um, the five mothers, I'll call them survivors as well, because they've had a lifetime of trying to survive what this drug has done to them and their offspring. Uh, and I think those small cohort, uh, to have someone as passionate and eloquent as yourself in their corner, uh, that should hopefully carry through and uh, hopefully we'll see that apology and hopefully uh, you can put it all behind you and enjoy what's left of all of your lives uh, without this is it a stigma because you don't is it a stigma because you don't have the apology yeah it's a huge wish on our part to move on with our lives to put closure here yeah Mm -hmm. we wish you all the very best in your efforts 
Good to talk to you. You too. And thank you so much again. That's Fanola Cassidy campaigning for the Irish Thalidomide Association and for the small cohort of five mums, 40 living survivors uh, from the uh, born, of course, in the uh, early to mid-60s, 1961, 62, 63 direction, when the thalidomide was available, though being after being recalled elsewhere. And we wish her all the best in seeking that apology. And that's what she's seeking as she makes her en- en- endeavours and efforts in uh, Leinster House today. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Just turned 5 to 10 and with the uh, first hour of the Neil Prenderville show this morning, dominated by Billy Kelleher, by Peggy Murphy and by Finola Cassidy. We'll get back to the um, paper review directly after the news at 10. But it's our Glentree Furniture Centre explanation time. 200 euros of a voucher to give away towards the end of the programme today with Glentree Furniture in Dunmanway. And remember, you can shop in store or online. Every day this week, there's going to be a famous person hiding behind the sofa. And to be in with the chance of winning a 200 euro voucher, you must correctly identify who it is. And when we open the lines closer to 12 midday, be caller number 12. Okay, so that's happening later this morning. But we'll give you the heads up now. We'll play the celebrity for you. And uh, you can write it down, take note of it or whatever. And if you win the 200 euro voucher, you'll be in a special head-to-head Friends trivia quiz. Because this is the exact item of furniture, the Lazy Boy Spectator Chair that Joey and Chandler famously fell in love with on Friends. But uh, the company themselves are a family-run business in Dunmanway. Customer service, very important. In fact, the most important part of their business while they aim to deliver what they call a white glove service, meaning they deliver and they assemble for you their furniture in your home. And if there are ever any issues, they look after them with the utmost care and confidence, striving for 100% customer service satisfaction. So what more could you ask for? Well, if you want to get involved, you're going to have to identify who this is. Please don't call now. We'll open the lines closer to 12 midday. Somehow I had a problem when I tried to say I'll be back. The I'll sounded <laughs> weird to me. So I said to the director, I, said that I think that I would say I will be back. That's not the most difficult celebrity in the world uh, to find out who's hiding and slightly muffled uh, behind the Glentree Furniture Centre sofa. Uh, But if you want to check it out online, glentreefurniture.ie. Carpets, flooring, rugs, pictures, mattresses, slide robes, wardrobes, chests, lamps, tables and chairs, sideboards, beds. It's all there at www.glentreefurniture.ie. Play that a couple of more times between now and 12 midday. But news at 10 o'clock is next. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Just want to complete the uh, morning paper review that we didn't get to because of the uh, article that we uh, had to take on with uh, uh, Billy Kelleher because of his time constraints. The central bank is warning of a potential recession here. The Irish domestic economy could slip into technical recession in the coming quarters as households and businesses struggle against soaring inflation, according to central bank officials. The mirror today has more Mortgage holders could be fixing to save, save, €9,000. Homeowners could save nearly €9,000 over the next four years if they switch mortgage providers and selected a fixed rate option. New data reveals uh, all the evidence says that the uh, interest rates are going to keep climbing. But research from daftmortgages.ie found that just 19% 
will switch this year, despite the fact nearly 9 in 10 would make massive savings. Look into it, people. Uh, the Independent has um, similar stories, but also one of a benefit-in-kind tax increase. Uh, you can check that out uh, on page 5 of the Irish Independent. There's an ex-top Garda jailed over €260,000 worth of drugs. Uh, should have been able to withstand temptation, I suppose, but six and a half years for a retired cop who hid cannabis to pay debts. The Mirror today has victims of HSE hack have still not been told, and that information uh, could be anywhere, probably leading to some of the scam texts that people have been getting over the last weeks and months. Figures for kids' eating issues treble the number of uh, psychiatric admissions of children and teenagers with eating disorders has more than trebled in the last four years. The uh, son today has way to row. Our hero, Damien, welcomed home by his daughter, Elodie, and his wife, Rosella. 112 days, uh, most of them, 99 of them, uh, because of illness. His uh, rowing partner had to be uh, taken from the boat. So he essentially mostly crossed the Atlantic on his own. A 55-day trek turned into a 100 and 12 days, and he got ashore yesterday, albeit on a rocky beach in uh, Galway. Becky's ordered to pay 1.7 million euro in Colleen legal bill. Defeated Rebecca Vardy posted a cryptic message after learning she must pay up to 1.7 million euro of Colleen Rooney's Wag of the Christie's legal bills. All shook ketchup. They really get the headlines, don't they? Um, <laughs> Something that looks like an Elvis emoji, not like Elvis himself, has been found in a tomato sauce pot. Uh, A mum discovered the face of Elvis staring back at her from the pot of a McDonald's ketchup. Uh, Took a picture of it. If that interests you, check it out in the sun. Uh, And finally, legendary Lynn is dead at age 90. Country singer Loretta Lynn has died yesterday, age 90. Uh, Her family confirmed in a statement the acclaimed singer and songwriter's Rep confirmed that she passed away from natural causes yesterday at her home, surrounded by her family in Hurricane Mills in uh, Tennessee. Now, speaking of Elvis, there's somebody listening to the program right now in uh, Tenerife, the reef, uh, that's dressing up as Elvis for um, an interview later on in six hours' time. Typical diva. Uh, but dressing up as Elvis and dressing up as Tranny Elvis. Uh, and that is uh, my good friend Tony Race. They've, uh, Tony and his uh, fiance Billy Lawrence, spent uh, a very packed week in Ireland recently. Their first visit to Ireland and squeezed in so much uh, you know, from the Guinness experience and the Jemison experience to Garth Brooks uh, and touring around all the place and kissing the Blarney Stone and uh, all of that. But Tony's one of the top entertainers in Tenerife and he asked me if I was on the radio. And I know they're listening now. Uh, could I direct people to the uh, TEAawards.com? This is the Tenerife Entertainment Awards. So it's www.teaawards.com. Uh, there's a free draw for everyone who votes uh, into a, uh, for a Las Vegas holiday. And in the truest Irish sense of jiggery pokery, uh, let's rig the vote a little bit for a, for a good guy. Uh, and Tony's alter ego is Roxy Risque. So if you are in Tenerife and you're on the south coast of Tenerife, look up a Roxy Risque show. It is entertainment par excellence. Little on the edgy side now. You have been warned, but very, very entertaining. The TEA Awards taking place in 10 or 11 days. There's a brilliant Irish band called Folklore that's in there as well. So it's free. Log on and uh, vote for Roxy Risque. Um, uh, take my advice on that. Go and see him, him uh, or her. And uh, go and see Folklore. It is a, an amazing Irish band 
very much in the, in the style of the Pogues, uh, but with a driving fiddle and a fantastic backbeat doing all of the Irish songs if you're ever on the south coast of Tenerife. Good morning to Tony and to Billy. And finally, before we get back to our phone lines, make tomorrow, which is today, is uh, this came yesterday, is my niece. Lily Sue Maloney's 16th birthday and I'd be very grateful if you'd give her a big shout out please because she's so special and I'd love you if you could make her feel special and so happy 16th to Lily Sue Maloney and uh, that is from her uncle Pat Dunn. I know Pat and I sadly miss his uh, his late brother, the legend that was Ted Dunn uh, and I knew Ted and Pat's mum Lily so that's uh, obviously where Lily Sue uh, gets the name. Lily Sue Maloney, happy birthday, 16 today. Right then, let's go to our phone lines and to line one and to Michael. Hi, Michael. Hi, hi, Mike. Okay. No, very good. Now, you were on the programme last Wednesday and uh, unbelievably, you're looking at a four to four and a half hour round trip daily from me. Do you mind if I refer to your original text? You have, no, a, son, course, you have yeah. a son and a daughter who both have severe special needs and they both need wraparound services. So your daughter has a place in Carrigaline. Your son is in his third school, which is in Charleville. Now, Carrigaline and Charleville, that's quite a distance. You're living in Mallow, and your wife, and you, you said you were separated from your wife, is in Canturk. Uh, but husband, both husband and wife are stepping up, of course, for the sake of the children, and you're sharing the duties for driving. And that's taking you four, four ten, four fifteen, four and a half every day depending on traffic. Um, That's correct, yes. Yeah. Now, you, you, you did make reference to while doing the run, you looked across the... You looked across the road, and what did you see? Um, just bus co- coaches laid on for um, Ukrainian children, you know, innocent children, anyone all this, you know. Um, but it just... It just it's the, the disparity, I suppose, between both, you know, for people that just come in and people that are citizens here. And for us to be doing this every day, you know... Um, and, 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 you know, we, when we enrolled, when, when my little girl enrolled in Caligaline School, the next thing is bus here and take up to school transport. And that's all sorted before the, the year starts in September. Um, I didn't think I'd be back in the program. I have no draw for being on radio. You know, I don't want my, I suppose, my, 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 my own private life, I suppose, washed in public. But it's, it's at a case where we have to. And you just touched on three schools there. We're just after getting an offer now of the fourth school in two years for my little man. And that's to go to Rochester because none of the schools are specific to his needs. And he's just thrown there. They're talking gestures all the time, you know. Uh-huh. Um, I really felt after the programme last time around, I was asking Neil if there was any public representative would come on board, you know, because there usually is when you listen to the programme, you know, power the media and stuff. Nothing, not a phone call, nothing. I've struggled to get a number for um, the school transport man. I've given him an email yesterday or the day before where I've had to tell him everything about my life, my daily life and mental health struggles um, because that are, uh, you know, compounded by the travelling that we have to do and by the way my little girl is reacting from not being in school every day. Uh-huh. It's not you possible know? to get them both to school every day. It's not possible. My little man has transport from Cantock to Charleville when he's with ma'am. But when he's with myself, then I have to go to Charleville first, then go to Caligaline afterwards. And it's the Caligaline thing is killing us. You know, my daughter is talking. She knows every day of the week, you know. She may not say things in context, but she has a great, great grasp on things. But it's uh, the frustration, like at the moment, and I hate saying it, 
My little man has 32 maximum pinches and bites just in the last two weeks alone from his older sister. And that's all born because of frustration of her not being, I suppose, her daily needs met, you know, um, uh, just um, having familiarity, you know, having a program in place every day is vital for everybody, I think, but especially for kids with autism. Okay, what, know, what's, what's, doesn't what's missing this year that, that, that you did have last year? Is, is it the... Uh, school, school transport. Mm. <laughs> school transport and that four and a half hours of a journey, you know, for us, mm. you know. You know, it's uh, this is every day, you know, it has to be done every day, the days that you can't do it, or something else is up there, the days where she's reacting, there are the days where she's biting and screaming about school. She's going into school then and the school hasn't getting to meet her and get familiar with her on a constant basis because there's days in, there's days out, there's the financial cost of it, there's the, 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 the daily runnings of it like that. Nothing can just stop at my daughter's behest, you know, for us to travel to one school only and life goes on. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I had to come along and I had to give an email now to the school transport man to tell him that where our lives are at the moment, where we are looking at our little six-year-old boy or seven-year-old boy with so many scratches and biting on him. And a lot of that is down to sheer frustration of my daughter Sophia not getting a place every day in school because of the situation we find ourselves in. Okay. We're in October, people from all over the country can get buses. My daughter can't. Having said that, the proximity of Rochestown to Carrigaline is not going to make much of a difference. Of course it's not. Of course it's not. He's in a school in Charlotte that he shouldn't be in because it's a school not suitable to his needs. Uh. But it's the third school he's had to go to in three years. He's never had that trouble in any of the schools. But the laws of the schools differ. Last year, the school could only keep him up to seven years of age. He was flying there. Now he was sent to go to, as a, as a token gesture again, to go to Charlotte, Charlotte this year. And we get a letter note to say that he maybe had to come out of um, Charleville to go to a more wraparound school, which is Rochestown, a new school that's happening. To be quite honest, even just the thoughts of Rochestown, Carrigaline, being so far away from places where you can get called in the middle of the day when the child has a meltdown, mm. to go back down for a third time or a second time, you know, it's, it's, I just feel like taking him away out of school and, and wrapping him with love, you know, and giving him the everyday life skills. But like, I'm, I'm not trained in that, you know. You know, I find it hard to fill my own there when the kids aren't around, you know. It's um, what you're being asked to do. We're left alone. We're left alone constantly. And it's having, you know, detrimental circumstances right now. Where I'm, I'm a younger lad and on, on, on Sophie herself, her, her mental health side of it. People don't like talking about mental health side of a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old. But unfortunately, it comes hand in hand with autism and certain strengths of it, you know. You know, the behaviourals, you know. Like, we haven't got, like, the greatest thing that was ever invented was the COVID excuse. You know, we've had not one session of um, any therapies, you know, uh, occupation therapies or anything else. Yet I have a little boy that's liable to put his hands through any pane of glass because all he can do is bang his hands off walls all day. Glass, anything you can't bring him into certain houses. You know, you're worried that the glass is going to come down around him. He's going to break something. That's all because of lack of OT. There's only so much you can do yourself. It's just across the board. It's not just me. I know it's just not me. But it's time that I came up and speak about it. You know, but the schooling and the whole system of, you know, Neil was uh, accused there on Friday. I didn't get it, but I got it in one of your headliners afterwards of, you know, stalking the fires amongst people, stalking the fires amongst the public. I think it was by Simon Coveney. Yeah, pitting people against each other. Yeah, what a cheek. But, like, I'm sorry, I'm pitting myself against refugees. I'm pitting myself against the government because of the nasty things that are being done. You know, or the lack of stuff that's being done for my children. That it's only my kids I can speak about. I have no right or no education to speak about anyone else's kids. But Michael, you're in a situation that, that at best, whatever happens, is going to be very, very difficult. 
Um, My for, knowledge, Jeff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What What would be the perfect outcome, the best you could achieve or the best you could hope for? For your family now, because I'm, I'm talking about the parents and, and the stress they're under, okay. uh, as well as these services which are inadequate, perhaps, for the children. Yeah, they are inadequate. We were promised from the age Sophia was diagnosed at two and a half that she would be going to the Holy Family School in Charleville, which is a wraparound service. We were promised when Leighton was diagnosed at three that he would also be going to the Holy Family School. They have been together as a package. They're actually Irish twins. They were born on the same day every year, six years apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to them a born bonfire night. And that's what you call Irish twins. They are twins. They are stuck to one another. And they're being separated. We can't do much about the separation. But by right, they should be collected by a bus, ideally every morning, bought to Charleville to a place where there's kids getting enrolled every year. There's kids at five, six and seven getting enrolled. My child is 13 and we're told she's so many years on the waiting list, but it's still not happening. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, nobody wants to fight the fight. You know? Um, Tusla, don't get me started, please. Someday I will sit down with, uh, on, in front of an RT camera or better for what they have done to us as a family, to me as a person, the danger that kids are in because of their incompetencies. You know, I spoke to a solicitor quite recently and he said, by the time Tusla had paid out all they need to pay out, money is nothing. It's, if you're paying something out, you've done something wrong. It's too late and Tussler are allowed to have carte blanche and what they do and what they dictate to families, you know. I mean, I'm nearly responsible for telling Tussler why my child is all the math. Okay, as you said, that's a, that's a topic for a different interview and, po- and possibly it is. And it's, a, a, a yourself, different time. You must all, yeah, but you must all protect yourselves against, it's like a bad word to speak about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have no court case pending against them. I should be able to speak about those people and what they lack in giving families and caring families and how to destroy people. Okay, so okay. We're, we're going a little far. We're going, getting a little personal now against us. As I say, it's, it's, it's a different argument. What, what can it, we it do? Is, what can you do? I can get a bus to start with. You know, I can get a bus or get my kids collectively educated in a setting where it doesn't take us four and five hours a day and the worry of them being so far apart and so separated. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. A simple thing like a bus here or, or a taxi you know, something that will just get them going for now, you know, and give us some bit of um, a mindset, you know, and that, that they're, they're okay and that they're developing, you know, that, that someone is trying to get the potential out of them. Mm. But you can't get potential out of someone with a start, start situation all the time. I, I can see it's a heartbreaking do. struggle. Can I ask you, Justin, you know, in, in the interest of clarity, walk us through your situation this morning or yesterday morning or whichever days, say yesterday, a complete day yesterday. Well, what, what mm-hmm. did that involve and entail? Well, just today was, I got up, um, 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 Leighton can't go to school because he's sick this morning. So that means then he still has to be brought out of bed, brought into Mallow. Um, I collect my daughter in Mallow, in a car park in Mallow, where the coaches, are luxury coaches laid on for kids that are just after being taken over a pub that wasn't open 12 months. I know it's, 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 the rental yield is a lot better to give it out to the refugee system because of what our government does. They throw money at people like that, and I take my child, I bring her to Carrigaline, I leave her off in Carrigaline, maybe an hour and 10 minutes in traffic, an hour and 15 minutes in traffic, get back to Mallow again, which is a bit quieter, wait for quarter to two to come, and leave again to get down there for quarter to three, and not get back down again until about 20 past four in Mallow again, to carry on to Cantuck. Wow. That's... That's the daily, that's the daily um, transport only. That's just the transport, not about everything else that you have to do with your kids. How much time in the... Yeah. We, we kind of said four to four and a half hours, but if, if, if yeah. you get stuck in gridlock in Blackpool, you're screwed, aren't yeah. you? Of course you are. 
Of course you are. You can't actually give a time where you're going to meet to hand over until until you're on the manor road and that you know that you're somewhere right. You know, the tunnel, you can come through the tunnel today, great. You can go down in the tunnel to go to Caragline across the street, coming back and fight the street. It's a different story. Like yeah. you stuck for half an hour. Like you're stuck coming into Tivoli bypass. You know, it's, um, it's solely about travelling. Do you get any expenses travelling. towards fuel? Which isn't cheap Absolutely these days. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Who's going to give you a <laughs> Mm. Do you know? Do you know? No, it, and it's 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 not even. Yes, it is an expense, but it's 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 the it's at the bottom of my mind. You know, it's it's it's. I suppose it's the last thing I want. Do you know? It's it'll be great to have the expenses, but it's it's time. It's time for Sophie. It's time. It's time for us as people to be able to live ordinary lives, and have the kids educated in the setting where they're entitled, first of all, as Irish citizens or as children in general in this country, to have an education. But as I said to me last week. If you do not send the child with special needs to school, you do not be brought to court. You're not asked questions. You're left there. You're just left there. You're left to do what you want to do. Whereas if you have a child of ordinary functioning, school-going age, and if you miss school over a matter of time, you get the letters first, then you get the school attendance records, then you're brought to court. But when it's a special needs child, it's up to yourself what you want to do with that child in life. There's no onus on your term to make a child maximise its potentials, you know? No one speaks about the mental health issues and the tensions that have with broad spectrum of mental with, with special needs kids. Nobody mm. speaks about the parents, you know, what the parents and the siblings, even so much more the siblings, because they're the siblings that actually miss out. Yeah, Michael, yeah. as a driver who really gets frustrated in, 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 in traffic and someone who could never live in Dublin for that reason, yeah, uh, you know, I, I can imagine what you're going through. How does the extended travel affect the children? Um, the extended travel, well, the travel would be there anyway because of the geography of where they need to go. But, like, at one sense, it's not because I have to bring Sophie, you know, on Monday morning to Charleville first. You have to wait until 9 o'clock to get into Charleville. So she's always going to be late. There's always going to be 10 cooperative. I didn't get to Charleville or Caragalina, I think, until half past 10, 20 to 11 um, on Monday morning to drop Sophie off, go back down the road and come back up again. I had an appointment didn't matter, so I had to go back down and come straight back up the road again to 20 to 3. So you're in Mallow, your wife, your wife who, whom you say you're separated from, but you're still acting as a family unit, is, is in Canturk. So is there anywhere closer than carrying a line that, that could give your daughter the, the care and, and the education she needs? Yes, there is. The place that have, where we get all our psychological reports and where we're governed from is St. Joseph's from Charlotte. Okay. So what is your plea for somebody in authority to listen to you, to, to understand what you're going through, to understand the mental torture it's putting you and the children and your wife through uh, and, and to display some common sense and get something done here. Uh, you, you know, you, your nose, is, you've, put, you've put your back to the wheel, if you, if you like. You've put your shoulders to the wheel. You, you, you've contributed enough to try and achieve a solution. And that, that solution you reckon can be provided? Of course it can be provided. Of course it can be provided. There's people from Tipperary come to schools and cop they're provided for. It's just a displacement, you know, it's, but it's, it's all I'm asking for is somebody to grab a hold of it and say, this is wrong, you know, and at a minimum, like, let us fight then forward along the line, let us fight about getting the kids collectively together and maybe geography, you know, geographically wise, have them in the same place. But for now, 
continue the education where they have it. We can speak about Rochester and all these crazy places. You know, the one didn't go to Killarney. Actually, this year, there was a place in Killarney for my younger man. Killarney? And they said he could go to Killarney every morning, yeah? Yeah, he could go to Killarney every morning, yeah? Actually, so Killarney from Mallow. <laughs> Might be better it's than Carrigalon from Mallow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's nearly as good as Carrigalon, but it's the daunting sound of, like, you know, oh, my child goes to school in Kerry. In a so, different county, yeah. But yeah, out, yeah, out, know, out, out the race course road there, that's not a bad road. It's it's not, it's not. It's probably better on wine since, but, you know, at the same time, you know, <laughs> you're going down to a, a different county then. And, like, it's, it doesn't matter where it goes, it's too far. You know, and I know there's many people all over the country have problems, like regardless of school, but not many of them have this school transport problem. Do you know the school transport problem that should have been in place before she was ever given an enrollment in the school? And nobody can help us within the school with respect because it's a great school, but they are a completely separate entity to, to Bus Aaron, and to Bus Aaron, this lies with regarding just the transport side of it alone. Michael, it's not often you have to come on this program twice to get a response from a councillor or one councillor or two councillors. Yeah. That's the stark yeah. reality here. This is, is, is this a hot potato for them? Not even one councillor, after pleading no. on air last week, came and approached no, you. I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned and then I didn't expect to be back on air today. I just gave an email to say, you know, thank you for the airtime, but at the same time, not one person has got back to me and this is how my life is. I think I gave me an email, a copy of an email in that I give to Jim Stack, letting him know the gory details of my, ki- my, my, my kids' injuries that are associated with no consistency for my daughter being able to get a consistency going and a, a structure going where she does something, the same thing every day, you know? Mm. She has a weekend planned out, but we can't plan her weekdays when she should, as an Irish citizen at 13 years of age, be able to plan her days in school yeah. and know that she goes to five days. Would the ideal situation, if it could be achieved, be that they be in school together? They be somewhere in, pro- in the proximity of North Cork, between Charleville and Mallow, or, you know, within 20 miles or whatever, mm-hmm. something palatable. Uh, and yeah. that then, even, even though you and your wife are separated, one parent could take the responsibility for, for dropping to school, collecting from school, uh, and, and they stay with mummy, and, and the following night, the opposite happens, they stay with daddy, and so, you know, there, there's yeah, a little bit yeah, of balance in their lives. Yeah, co-parenting there anyway, you know? Yeah, you know, of course. You're, you're, willing, you're willingly doing that. You know? But, uh, how, but how, how, how do you keep all this funded? Um, by borrowing, <laughs> you know, by being a bum, I suppose, really, you know? It's a terrible world of people say I shouldn't say about myself, but you know, can't work all the time because of it, you know? It causes knock on there's a ripple effect to all this. There's a ripple effect of, you know, your confidence, everything goes down, you know, you know, your feel good factor. The feel good factor is drained when your pocket is drained, you know. In your experience, do you think the government is abandoning kids with special needs? And I know that's a very sweeping general statement, but you it's, must it's, it's have not, experience it's not of other parents. General statement. It's 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 a, I, I, I think if you had <laughs> if you had um, um, a percentage vote in the morning, then people it's, it's going to be overwhelming. Of course, they have forgotten about it because my thing is is that not an awful lot of kids pay into them um, kids with special needs pay into the tax system afterwards. You know. Mm. You know, I met a very good friend of Keith Duffy. He's there in Kenmare there going back last year. And he's always been a public patron of autism and stuff. His daughter, me, you know, is, is a, a programmer with uh, Microsoft, you know, one-dimensional thinking, but the second biggest uh, income into the household, you know. And, you know, that's the dream. That's the reality. But can that only be reached with funding? Can it only be reached when you're somebody? I don't know. I want my daughter to just try and achieve in life. I want my son to try, uh, achieve in life. The same as already two kids, you know, but mm. there's, you, uh, the tiredness that it presents doesn't give you the, I suppose, the willpower to do the work that you should be doing with them when you're doing four, five hours a day driving. What more can you give? 
Yeah, what mental capacity or energy can you have left uh, yeah. if you're begging, stealing and borrowing and because you can't work because you're on the road all the time? That's it. Mental capacity is probably a huge thing, a huge word is right. You know, the, the capacity isn't there and the defeatist kind of is cynical inside you then because of constant, constant knockbacks. Mm. You know, I don't want to be a pessimist. I'm a, an outgoing person, you know, like you, you smile, pretend you're happy or you smile because you are happy. But like, if I'm to be thinking and talking to people, I hate when people ask me close to me, how are things, how are you getting on? Because it's a negative. It's a negative I must tell them all the time. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a negative about the kids I must tell them. Who wants to listen to my negatives? Do I want to be on your radio station speaking about ne- my negatives? No, but I'm forced to. Yeah, you know, Ma- Michael, you're, you're, media. You're, you're two children, your boy, your little boy, your little girl, are obviously in a situation that's very, very unsuitable. But do you feel like, feel like you're being punished as well? One million percent. Yeah, one million percent. You look, <laughs> uh, in more ways than one, yes, yeah, you question that. And, you know, it becomes more compounding and it becomes more palatable and believable that you are getting punished as as time goes on because it's harder to heal a wound if you leave it open, you know, and if it's, if it's constantly dripping and stuff. And that's where my mind is. It's dripping all the time, you know. But nobody's putting on a sticky plaster or a stitch in it to try and make it somewhere better to stabilise it. And what I'm talking about is the mental capacity of stuff, you know. Um, to, to, to continue to be a good parent. Now, I, I don't want to scare them off, but uh, in your communications, as you said, so a sarcastic thank you to all of our local representatives for showing such eagerness and empathy towards our plight. Uh, let's hope that's just up until now. And uh, let's hope yeah. some, somebody has the kahunas to step up and say, look, let me see if I can investigate your situation with compassion and with whatever mm-hmm. power I have. Let me see if I can navigate the system politically. Uh, and even from a, you know, a lowly councillor, no offence to any councillors, nope. you know, to, nope. to make the larger political machine accommodate uh, and recognise the effort you've, you've put in just to stay afloat here. And, and I'm not talking mm-hmm. about financially. That's, mm-hmm. that's an aside. Uh, it's an mm-hmm. important factor. Uh, but just to keep the mental health of the entire family on a, on a stable footing. You, you need serious intervention and you need it quickly. Yeah, and as you just said there, with respect, low-key counsellors, they're probably the only ones that show the appetite to work because anybody that goes in there, it's a poison chalice. No matter whoever goes in there, no matter what success of government, no matter where you're from or what your political party is, it's, 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 they forget about you when they get there. Everybody forgets about you when you get to the top. There's no higher to go. So why do they need to? You need someone hungry, do you know? You need someone young, you know, vibrant, hungry. Probably somebody that has, I suppose, experience in all of this, you know. <laughs> you know, to have the hunger and have to the desire to help, you know. And I suppose empathy, empathy is a huge word. I'm not looking for pity off anybody, right? Yeah, you're I'm not looking, looking for, for empathy yeah. for my children. Exactly. We've got a text. Um, okay, I think that person might be coming on air, actually. So let's see if... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I won't bother reading the text. I, I ask her yeah. to, uh, to actually say her kind words herself. Rebecca. Hello. Hi. How you, are you? I'm, I'm good. You've met Michael. I have. Tell us about what, what that's like and, and you obviously know what he's going through. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I suppose I can relate um, because I have a daughter with additional needs, like she has autism and everything. But, you know, I have a lot of support, so I'm very lucky. And, you know, she's in mainstream crush at the moment with her twin brother and she has an aimed support worker um so i met that gentleman in tesco um with his oh, two children i know who you are oh my god <laughs> yeah and i mean like i that the day that i met you i just couldn't stop thinking about you really honestly <laughs> because 
you are such an amazing person. I mean, like this man is just like no one knows unless you have children with additional needs how difficult it is. And I mean, I mean, you still have to get up, get dressed. You still have to do the daily tasks. But it's so, so difficult if your children with additional needs, they cannot tell you how they're feeling. They can't communicate it. You know, it's so, so, so difficult. And that day I met you, I... I remember. You know, and, and, and I didn't want to be patronising and I didn't want to be, no. like, coming no, like a hero. so, so much. Do you know, it was... Um if I actually rise with it, it's my, 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 my girl had a little bit of a breakdown inside. I think the two yeah. more. Mm-hmm. There was a lot yeah. of pinching, biting going on and yeah. messages were all over the ground and you just saw Candy come over and just said, you know, you have this, you know, let's get to the car, let's help the kids. And yeah. it was, um, it was embarrassing in one sense, I suppose. I've never met you since, but Thank you so, so much for your kind words and for your kindness and the day, obviously, as well, you know. Rebecca, you say you're one of the lucky ones. How was dealing with the system? for you um honestly i honestly i'm like i'm not gonna lie i honestly cannot complain um everything for me has been smooth sailing um um, to be honest i do put that down to my twins kind of always being in the system as they were nine weeks premature so uh, before there was any diagnosis of autism or anything they were kind of um already seeing a speech and language therapist. They were already enrolled in OT and physio due to the fact of them being premature babies and being behind as it was. So I am only lucky that these professionals picked up on my daughter's autism very, very young age, but she was already kind of in the system, if that kind of makes Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I can't complain because, you know, I have been, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. And that's so, great I mean, to hear, you know. That is so good to hear, you know. You know. Yeah, but I mean, you know, th- there is a lot of people that are not so lucky, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and listening to you saying about the travelling, I knew, I knew it was you straight away. <laughs> and I was, I was sitting Whoa. in the car and I was going, "Oh my gosh!" And I didn't even know your name. And from I know, that I day, know, Michael, yeah. All, yeah. all I wanted to do was literally just to exchange numbers with you, just to be like, oh, "Can so, we go so for much. a coffee?" <laughs> You know, I know, because I know, I know, yeah. It was just so hands on, I think the same night it was mental. <laughs> you know, it was I um, mean how you you were so I mean, looking back, you know, I don't know how you were so calm. You were just so you know, and again, like I said, when I saw all the like groceries on the floor, you know, I didn't want to be like yeah, of course, coming over yeah, like the hero, yeah. but I just said I have to help this man. I have which to. Which you did, which you did, yes, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> you know, and just yeah. get to the car, get home, and it'll be okay. You know, because yeah, what people forget is everyone can on Facebook and say like, oh, you know, kids with autism and this, and oh, should God help us? The amount of people that actually just stand there and stare. And that's they do, yes, really yeah, and they be me. afraid or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you, know. you know, someone can easily just say, are you okay? Are yeah, you no, okay, okay yes. cool. Yeah. And what, no, you know, people just stand there and I don't realise, I don't know if they realise they're just standing there and that really bothered me the most. I was thinking this man is, is juggling two kids, you know, um, mm-hmm. one of them, you know, they don't want to be here. You're trying to literally just get food so you can go home and make them dinner. That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Re- Rebecca, thank you very much for coming on. Thank I think you, you've you so given so Michael much. a lift. He, do, he doesn't get most days. Uh, and while we have to leave it soon, Michael, I want to bring on Sheila yeah, as well right now. Uh, Sheila, yeah. say hello to Michael. Good. Hello, Michael. I'm just on to say you should be so proud of yourself. 
You know, there's many a father out. No, there's many a father out there have, you know, healthy children and they don't want to know them. But you should be so proud of fighting for your children. And I have to say, any TV and your wife, of course, but you're, you know, you're a man having to do it is harder. A woman instinct is easier, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what I Thank want to so say, much. any TD or counselor that's out there and ignored you last week, they should hang their head in shame. Head in shame, yeah. yeah. I they should so hang that. their head in shame. You know, mm-hmm. and you Thank are you. right. If you, you know what, if you weren't Irish, you'll be held long ago. That's yeah, all I have to say to you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you. Hold your head up high and be proud. Thank you so, Thank so you. much. Bye-bye. Thank you, bye-bye. Thank you, thank you, Sheila. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Michael, for being so eloquent no in, in, in your valiant struggle to stay afloat mentally, financially, and, 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 and to the betterment of your children. Let, let's see where it goes here, from here. Let, let's say this is an extended <laughs> time on air on the Neil Prendeville Show, and if this, yeah, if this doesn't shake somebody out, somebody with a heart and compassion and empathy for your situation yeah. to say, look, okay, this is not a sustainable situation. I'm here, I'm councillor A, B or C, or I'm TD A, B or C, and I will do my utmost to, to make it better for Michael, his wife and his two children. Let's, let's see if that happens. You'd be more than welcome to come back on the air with me or with Neil, but let's hope it doesn't have to be three times lucky. Hopefully, yeah? Third time hopefully lucky. not negativity. Thank yeah. you so, so much, Michael. Okay, Mike, thanks Children. a million. Thank Children. you. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106, Red FM. 16 minutes to 11. Suzanne, thank you for holding for so long. How are you? Hi, Maurice. Mick, how are you? Good. You have a son who's autistic. You're living in Lehnamore. I am, Mick, I am. And, uh, like, just, just recently there to Michael, like, I've met Michael a few times, and, he, he, you know, he's a great person. Um, he's also, he's doing an amazing job with his own kids as well. Um, we've had similar conversations, like, looking for help. Can we point each other in, you know, a direction where he can get support and help for his children? So it's absolutely awful, uh, the situation that he's faced with, I suppose, at the moment, you know? Um, but you, Your I'm, situation, I'm, not as serious, but you haven't had bus transport for your your autistic son since September. No. What happened? Right, so um, my son attends a school in, in Mayfield and like that every year we've had uh, transport and this year for in September for some reason or other we've got no transport and um, no buses available, the route. Um, now I also work on the bus as well, Mick. I work part-time as a, one of the bus escorts so the bus route that I would have been on would have seven children and those seven children have no transport to school okay. since September. Seven, all seven? All seven. Is this because of the, the free transport directive that was given out and, and the displacement of people who are regularly getting that school transport? I personally think it's because, one, the price of diesel, etc., and all that that's gone up, and I just don't think that the, the taxis or the buses just don't make the money off them, and we lost the route completely. We've got no transport. We've got no bus to collect us. Now, obviously, it's, it's, not, kind of, it's not down to the school because the principal is trying everything she can. It's, it's down to CAE at the end of the day um, to, to sanction the transportation, but there is no drivers. Okay. There is no... So, there, so what, what do you think is, li- like any business who are, who are facing inordinate amounts of increases, exponential mm-hmm. increases in energy costs, that the transport grant available was suddenly eaten up by the huge increases uh, in price of diesel and petrol? 
Absolutely. And, and so it's untenable for a, a transport provider to actually fulfil the contract. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Like, I mean, they're, 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 they're not making the money and therefore they're not going to do it. I mean, what's, what's the point of them putting on a bus for children and when it's actually loss. costing them? Yeah. Exactly. It's costing them. Um, the, ob- the, ob- it, the obvious it, answer is that the transport grant needs to be increased to reflect some level of profit for those providing oh, the service. definitely, definitely. But I mean, like, to have seven kids, like, to have no transport, and I know um, one or two of the parents there don't drive. I know they have to take two and three buses to get their child to and from school. So you're talking four times a day, you know, the parent going up with the child, the parent coming back, the parent going back up, and the parent coming back with the child. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And like, all right, you can maybe allow for maybe a week or so um, at the start of September, you know, just till everyone finds their feet and gets things up and running. But now we're into October and we still have absolutely nothing. And, you know, following, a you know, what was essentially or could have been more generous, but was essentially a generous budget in certain areas. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you think this transport grant would have been addressed? The transport grant for special needs children should be priority it should be priority all around because as Michael said there with the way that kids can act out and when they, they're not in school and how difficult it is for them in general I think the transportation grant for special needs children should be one of the top priorities that should be sorted before the children go back to school in September it plays havoc with our children there you go that's when their it. routine that's is it. changed in a nutshell that's it that, that's literally it. There's no point sugarcoating it. It plays absolute havoc with our children. Mm-hmm. Now, now M- and, Michael's, and, Michael's case is probably not typical. It's probably one on the extreme end of havoc co- compared yeah. to what somebody who has local transport, albeit if you have to take three buses, it's six buses a day, or two buses, mm-hmm. it's four buses a day. But yeah. essentially, the the silver bullet here is the quick addressing of the transport grant, increasing it to cover uh, displacing these children, and, mm-hmm. and and allow it to be profitable for the service provider, but it has Absolutely. to be increased. It, it needs to be look, like with, with special needs kids. Like you know, you know, Mick, as well as the whole of Ireland. Know our kids are always forgotten about. They're always left there. They're always put back. You know, it is great that Rebecca has support, and I'm delighted to hear that. But she's very far and few between with special needs parents. Our kids don't get anything. They don't get services, anything they need. Nine times out of ten, we have to pay for privately. The lists are phenomenal. The money is just not there. And now, outside of having no services for our children and nothing else, now the transportation has been affected, so therefore they can't get their education. Okay, and ha- again, ha- it's all, all back to like the, the mental health of the parents that have to deal with their children that are struggling on a daily basis. How have you been interacting with the services, the powers that be, and your local representatives? I've sent a couple of emails. I've got nothing back. I'm not going to lie. I haven't got anything back. I have been onto the transportation section myself. I've been onto CIE myself. Um, there's nothing. Is all we're saying. Is all we're getting back is well. If you're lucky to get a reply, you guess we're working on it. We're trying our best. Mm. But we're into October now, and it's like you know. Now I'm I'm not as bad as Michael. Absolutely, I'm not. I I'm in Lehenamore. I only have to travel to Mayfield. It's not too bad, but I can see a massive increase on the cost of diesel. I'm now about 80 euros a week. Mm. Yeah, it's still south side to north side. Uh, yeah, it is. And then you're still talking traffic. You're still talking the time around. You're st- and outside of that then, because I work on the bus as one of the bus escorts part-time, 
I also am out of work and now I'm not getting paid either. Sure. It's a vicious so, like, circle. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So like, it's bad enough our kids don't get services, but now they can't get an education basically because the financial pressure that parents are under and like people can't get their kids to school. Therefore, they're dealing with them at home all day long. Susan, who, it's, it's sorry, Suzanne, who, who is the responsible minister? Is it Norma Foley? Is it Roderick O'Gorman? Probably all they did if you ask me. There's none of them any good in my eyes. There hasn't been for a very long time, Mick, you know? There's none of them any good. There's nobody out there that's willing to step up and do mm. anything for any of our children on any level, on any level. You know, oh, okay, Suzanne, I, I, I want to take another caller, but thank you very much for your contribution. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mick. Okay, thanks. Michael, thank you for holding. I'll be with you in a moment. Is that okay? Yep. Thank you. It. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Six minutes to 11. Michael, once again, thank you for holding. You're going to say early intervention is the key. Yeah, 100%. Um, I was watching, well, I'd be very lucky myself as um, I have two daughters with autism and the first daughter was picked up very quick in her play school by her play school teacher. She pulled us aside and was very discreet and respectful and said, look, there's something amiss with your daughter. Um, she thinks that there's there's an underlying issue. So we went about going on the public list um, in getting her seen to and the response we got from mum first was because she was four and a half years of age they could do nothing until she was over six they said they can't really do anything until she's over six so I went private and I got a diagnosed by um, Professor is it Michael Fitzgerald okay um, um, so basically we got her sorted but I, again there about four and a half years ago I was watching a show I think it was late, later on Brendan O'Connor was on it so the TV presenter comedian mm-hmm. and he's a daughter with um, uh, severe um, Down syndrome Okay, and like that he said early intervention is lost in translation yeah but the one, the one word that's common to, to you and our previous caller uh, is luck I've, she said she felt lucky because well, they were born am, premature. You said you felt lucky because of the early intervention of, you know, somebody who may not have had that skill but was in your child's play school. Yep. And, like, she knows who she is. She uh, Like, I know about her um, saying where she's from or whatever, like, but she is, as far as I'm concerned, a hero because she she helped our daughter to where she is now. No, she went through St. Killian's. We got her into St. Killian's National School. She went through the right, all the way through and now she's above in Scholar Bonneris in the Cope Foundation. What, what, the child, when she might still be outside the process, would you fight and get they, her in? Exactly. And if we didn't go private, we would have gotten no diagnosis. And again, our second daughter then, again, we picked up on it early. We were after copying the... Because we had experience with the first child, we were able to pick up on the second child. And again, I went private again with her because she was under six. Like, that's another thing. Like, they say early intervention, early intervention. That's a load of... Okay. as far as I'm concerned because they just don't care they don't care about the child they have uh, they have yeah they have a, like the system is fighting you back rather than being open and welcoming exactly and like only for only for the other interventions from the preschool teacher we'd be lost in translation no we have we have our second daughter in a unit in Burns National School and they are absolutely untouchable they are Second to none, they are unbelievable. Above there, 
because my daughter, she wasn't non-verbal. No, she's speaking. She's speaking fluently. Michael, I'd like to explore it a little more with you after news at 11, if you could give us that little bit of time, could you? I am under pressure. Are because you I'm, okay? Uh, I, I'm under service pressure, but look... We go at the main point there, anyway. Early intervention yeah, is key. Like that man needs to go private. Okay. Whether, whether he's going to afford it or not, if he wants to really... He obviously can't afford it. He's putting everything into his I, car, I, I including under, his I day. Under, <laughs> I understand that, but... Like the system, the system is flawed, and they know it. They know it above the underdog, and they just do not care. Like this thing with the, the free transport. Why did they throw that out there and then kibosh every child that was on transport last year in a routine? No, is out of routine. Like that woman said, there is is catastrophic to a child who's looking at their parents and going, why am I going to school with Gino? Why am I mm, exactly. three buses? Michael, I, you know? I do have to leave it there as well. But listen, thank yeah, you very no, much for your contribution. News at no, 11 no. is next. Thanks, Michael. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show. And on a very busy morning, let's get around to our uh, Glentree Furniture Competition. It's happening all this week on the Neil Prendival Show. Glentree Furniture Centre are in Dunmanway, a family-run business. They've very generously given us five 200-euro vouchers to give away. We'll give away voucher number three uh, just before 12 today. And an extra winner on Friday will get a Lazy Boy Spectator chair. If you're a friend, uh, if you're a fan of Friends, uh, then you may need Little Friends knowledge because it's going to be a Friends head-to-head challenge. It'll be pretty easy, but you still need to know a little bit about Friends on Friday but the Joey and Chandler loved spectator chair the lazy boy spectator chair is our main prize this week but you could walk away with a beautiful 200 euro voucher that you can spend in store or online this family run business in Dunmanway striving for excellence delivering and assembling their furniture in your home and promising 100% customer service satisfaction. So every day this week, there's going to be a famous person hiding behind the sofa. People are moving around on the sofa as well to try and distract you. This one is not too difficult. Please don't call or text now. We'll open the phone lines, not the text lines, closer to 12 midday. Somehow I had a problem when I tried to say, I'll be back. The aisle sounded weird to me. So I said to the director, I I think that I would say, I will be back. It's not uh, too difficult today, but please wait until we open our phone lines for Glentree Furniture Centre in uh, Dunmanway, and you can check everything out on www.glentreefurniture.ie. Hi, Mick. Tomorrow's my niece. Uh, my niece, oh, I've done that one already. Uh, on the thalidomide story, we have lots of texts. It was for morning sickness, not as a sleeping tablet. Yes, we've cleared that up. Uh, victims will be dead soon, so the government won't do anything with compensation, redress, etc., as they're holding out. That's why they're holding out. This will see everyone gone and passed away as usual. As usual, Thalidomide reminds me of the Bridget McCall case. Bridget received infected blood during her pregnancy in 1977. It was 1996 before she had her hepatitis C case resolved. Uh, good morning, make sure what's changed today with uh, testing medicine. Didn't the COVID vaccine go straight from the shelves to the vein to me? Uh, not much has changed since 1962. Uh, listening to your topic on that morning sickness pill, can you please call out on air what channel and what time it was on last night? It was on RTE1 TV, so you'll pick it up on the RTE player. Uh, it's a mainly Irish documentary with subtitles, uh, but very, very compelling. It's only 30 minutes of watching. It is a very heavy topic, uh, but you'll be able to pick it up on the RTE player from RTE1 TV last night at 7 o'clock, and it was called Sconnell, S C A N N. 
A-L. And I've had a complaint as well. Please do not use the term autumn of your years. Uh, would you like to hear that about yourself someday? I'm probably already there. But I did qualify that to Peggy by saying that uh, in reference to an interview on national radio, which I heard as part of the research, um, Peggy herself uh, had admitted to being in that period of her life. So I was trying to be as gentle as possible. There are other things I could have said that wouldn't uh, have been so gentle, but I tried to be as gentle as possible with Peggy, who's 93, very sharp, and if uh, I caused any offence uh, to anyone out there by saying autumn of your years, then I don't know why, but I apologise anyway. thought I was being quite delicate there. Mick Barry is online, 1TD. Good morning, Mick. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Uh, have we got through the prepay power um, minefield yet? Has it been resolved? No, it has not been resolved. Um, so we know that the prepay um, customers will get the €200 Euro, uh, credits, the same as the bill pay customers. But when I asked um, the Tornister, Leo Varadkar in the Dáil last Thursday, as to whether they would be fully included in the moratorium on disconnections this winter, he said ideally he would like that to be the case, but effectively said that they had been excluded from the scheme. So that was outrageous, and obviously I banged the table and kicked up over that. Then at the weekend, um, the Taoiseach said that as far as he was concerned, nobody should be disconnected uh, this winter, and that something would be put in place to sort people out. But he seemed to be indicating that he would come back with a plan, hasn't done it yet, but the plan would involve the social welfare officers, in particular, people going to community welfare officers and asking for additional needs payments. And I pointed out to him that, look at, um, you know, the, the, <laughs> the community welfare officers will, will be packed, jam-packed this winter, people queuing out the doors if you do that already, if you try to ring them. Uh, the average waiting time is 40 minutes. It's not practical, and it's not just. Why would you put people through that? And I suspect there are a lot of people who will be skipping meals uh, or um, you know, having the gas and electricity disconnected for um, uh, periods of time rather than put themselves through what many people would see as that humiliation. Okay. Mick, um, let me just clarify. Um, I mentioned prepay power. That's one of the branded... Um, suppliers in the pay-as-you-go market, and I don't want to sing the, single them out, uh, you know, on, on their own. There are other providers in the pay-as-you-go market, one being known as prepay power. There are others, though, and it kind of affects every supplier and the res- uh, those in receipt of electricity uh, through pay-as-you-go meters from many suppliers. Yeah, that's correct. There are two companies uh, which are prepay full stop. That is uh, prepay power and a company called Pinergy. Uh, and then other providers like Electric Ireland uh, will have prepay customers as well. In fact, uh, when I first started asking questions about this, uh, the Department of Energy said that there were 180,000 uh, customers. Uh, but now we discover yesterday that there's actually 340,000 people, uh, households, um, geared up for uh, prepaid electricity. So there, there could be not too far off a million people affected by this, and the government have yet to give um, a clear indication of how they are going to stop disconnections this winter. Now, I, I gave the Taoiseach two or three examples yesterday of how it could be done. Uh, I don't think it's as difficult as they're making out. 
Okay, so the term self-disconnection is, is what's put on if you leave your meter going into, into arrears. You get your beeps, you get your warnings, uh, you can top up in that time. But if it hits, sometimes I think it's a, is it a minus 10 euro, bang, everything's off. Yeah, I think the phrase self-disconnection is an insulting phrase. I, I think it rubs a lot of people up the wrong way, as though it's their fault, uh, when it's not. Uh, so the way in which it works for, for anyone who's not familiar, let's say that you uh, put 30 euro uh, on your uh, prepaid electricity, right? Uh, when you have two euro left, uh, a beep goes off uh, on the machine in your house mm-hmm. and it'll go off again when you're down to zero. And after that, you get an emergency credit. Now, up until the weekend, the emergency credit was 10 euro. It's now been increased to 20 euro. Um, but if you don't top up before uh, the 20 euro runs out, you are automatically disconnected. So the government said that there would be an electricity and gas disconnection moratorium this winter. And the basic point is that if there's a moratorium or a ban on disconnections, then it has to apply to everybody. And I will continue to raise this issue uh, and shout about it until such time as proper guarantees have been put in place. For example, two things that could be done. First of all, if you're, if you're a, a pay-as-you-go gas customer, uh, it costs you €199 Euro in order to transfer over to bill pay. That €199 Euro fee should be removed. There should be no obstacles to people transferring to bill pay if they want to do that. Also, if you're a pay-as-you-go customer, um, you have a guarantee as it stands uh, that you won't be disconnected on certain days, uh, bank holidays, Saturdays, Sundays. So the non-disconnection days could and should be extended by saying that any day with a Y in it... um, (laughs) You cannot disconnect on that day, at the very least up until the end of the winter. It's just not on to have people um, being disconnected from their gas and their electricity for themselves, their families and their kids uh, this winter. There's no way that uh, 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 that's going to be allowed to happen. Okay, we live in the digital age, Mick. Um, How come, and and people who are on pay-as-you-go services receive regular texts, promotional texts, uh, you know, uh, rate change texts from their supplier. Uh, wh- why can't the government just pay the 200 euro per customer to these providers and they send out a 200 euro credit text? Well, it's been done before. Uh, during COVID, if you were on pay as you go and you were a gas company, uh, customer, you got uh, a credit of uh, 100 euro, an emergency credit. Now, I don't think 100 euro would be enough this winter with the cost of living crisis, but it proves the principle that it can be done because the Taunusted, I think, tried to hide behind uh, the technological arguments in the first stall debate on this where he said it's technically very difficult when people prepay. It's not technically very difficult. It's been done before and it can be uh, uh, done again, no doubt. Okay, so where do we go from here? When are we going to have clarity? This is promised by Halloween, isn't it? The measure, the overall measure itself, the credit. My understanding is that the um, uh, this issue came up between the the three government party leaders and at the cabinet meeting. Uh, I think they're flummoxed as to how to uh, work it out. I think they're very nervous about stepping on the toes of um, the prepay companies 
prepay power itself made more than 14 million euro uh, in profit in 2020. Its um, major uh, shareholder, uh, Ulrich Kenny, increased his wealth by 30 million euro in the year 2020. And I think that uh, some of the schemes that I've suggested, um, um, uh, the, the big companies uh, wouldn't be in favour of them, and I think they're pushing back. And I think the government is paying them to, uh, far too much attention, and they should be paying attention to the needs of the ordinary customers, who, after all, are the people with the votes. Mm. Could they not say, and I know I'm very, being very simplistic here, give every one of your customers €200 Euro credit and invoices for, for the entire amount? They could do that. Yeah, they could do that. Um, uh, if you're suggesting that the invoice the government, it kind of implies that the, the, the taxpayer will end up carrying the can for any arrears, I would more favour the idea uh, that the, these companies are making massive profits um, they're charging higher for electricity than is the norm. And if there's a hit to be taken, they should take the hit themselves. Uh, but if you're asking me, is it an option? Of course, yes, it is an option. There, there are many options. The government is in its largesse, and some people say that, uh, I'm saying that sarcastically, they're giving out three of these benefits, if you like, these grants to people to help them get through the exorbitant charges for energy. Now, th- there must be many ways to do this. Why, why is this such a political hot potato when, when there's still essentially four weeks to go on, until the solution is, is, is put out there? Because they're uh, very nervous about stepping on the toes of uh, the energy companies, and in particular, uh, the, the energy companies that specialise uh, in the pay-as-you-go uh, market. Um, um, they're very nervous about uh, taking any steps that those companies would not be happy with. And my basic point is, if you had uh, a socialist government or if you had a government which put the needs of working class people first, you you would just say, okay, we're going to take whatever action is necessary to defend the interests of of the ordinary customers. The government are looking over their shoulder and paying too much attention to the business interests. Mick, I'm just looking at the screen here and uh, there's a dull debate on making public transport free and my slot is coming up in literally 60 uh, seconds. Okay, so very, I think I'm going to have to run. Okay, very quickly. How, how come uh, people are getting uh, letters about protests to the government on a government free post envelope from you? Uh, yeah, uh, and, and no apologies for that uh, whatsoever. Uh, we'll, take it up, we'll, ta- we'll take it up another day if you have to go. No, I'll explain it very briefly. Uh, when, I, when I ask for votes, uh, <laughs> I'm okay. Richard Boyd Barrett is after jumping up. Uh, when I asked for votes in the last general election, I made it very clear uh, that if I was to be a TD, I would be uh, a socialist TD, a fighter for working class people, speaking out for people in the doll, and part and parcel of that would be organising protest where, where necessary. Obviously, it was necessary around the time of the water charges. you remember what happened there. It's necessary again now with the cost of living. And if there's a cost of living protest that I'm involved in organising, and there's been two so far, and there'll be a third one coming up, I make no apology for notifying my constituents of those protests, encourage them to come along, and posting out to them on the, on the Oireachtas envelope. All right, Mick Barry, today we'll let you get back to the business of government. Thank you very much. Uh, that live thanks, de- thanks. That live debate just going on in the Dáil. Uh, and just before our next uh, item, uh, just been watching uh, on one of the studio TVs here, Liz Truss, the British Prime Minister, getting heckled uh, and a protester being removed 
from uh, the uh, conference there, the Conservative Party conference uh, that's ongoing. It hasn't been a good uh, 24 hours, uh, hasn't been a good 28 days, I suppose, uh, for Miss Truss, the uh, British Prime Minister. Uh, but when it comes to opening salvos, uh, when you're just about to interview a prominent politician, you've got to take your hats off to Beth Rigby. Imagine Liz Truss sitting down for the Sky News interview and getting this as an opening salvo. Prime Minister, you've been in power for 28 days, but 10 of those politics was paused. In 18 days then, you announced £45 billion of tax cuts without setting a fiscal framework. It precipitated a £65 billion emergency bond buying programme by the Bank of England to protect pension funds. The pound tanked. A thousand mortgage deals withdrawn from the markets as interest rate rates expectations spiked. You established a 33-point lead for Labour in the polls. And now the lady not for turning has announced a massive U-turn on a policy. This is surely the worst start of any Prime Minister. And I bet Liz Trust knew this was not going to be an easy interview after that. We'll take it slightly easier on our next guest. Michael O'Connell, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Neil. It's make actually, but not to worry. You, you, you wrote a very, very engaging article uh, in the Sunday Business Post. Let me just uh, set the groundwork here. The EU has launched its multi-billion euro repower plan and offered member states 40% capital grants to build liquefied national gas storage facilities, reserves in other words. But because of Eamon Ryan, we didn't. And we're the only European country with a coastline uh, and ha- that has gas that has no LNG facility. Take it up from there. Uh, it's incredible because not alone that, if, if Wesley uh, Eden, he's the um, CEO of U Fortress Energy. You know, it's um, a multinational a global supplier of liquefied natural gas. He would have built these um, terminals at no cost uh, to the taxpayer. Um, it's incredible that it was refused by the Green Party, in particular Eamon Ryan, who said that the gas could come, could, not it was coming, but could come from fracking, which is against the government policy. You know, in, this, in these unprecedented times, we don't have the luxury of choosing where the gas comes from, uh-huh. surely. Um, you know... Um, or um, MEP Sean Kelly, he said way back in March that Ireland would be mad not to take up this offer of these storage facilities. And we are mad. Yeah, but fra- fracking, no. it's fracking itself, I know it's off topic, but fracking itself, hasn't it been proven to be ungreen because 2 to 3% of the fugitive gases get into the atmosphere? Isn't that why it's banned, it banned in many countries? Yes, that's, you know, it, it is correct. But at this stage, you know, we have to have these terminals. We're the only one, as you said. If you were over in the Mediterranean now, you would see, no doubt, these huge um, tankers bringing gas to every nation in, uh, you know, that has a coastline in Europe, bar Ireland. For, for, so, the, know, for the, those, yeah, for those of our yeah, listeners, Mike, for those of our listeners, Michael, who think that gas is just for cooking and heating, uh, let me put this in a little bit of perspective, right? Uh, lack of gas or gas rationing, if it happens, and it's very likely this winter, and I'm not trying to scare anybody, uh, is going to be one of the most serious risks to our economy. And that's not, not just my opinion. Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Finance, said so exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, most of our electricity comes from gas. 
and um, the Green Party, in particular Eamon Ryan, said last year that the, that um, their policy in government was to produce enough gas-fired units to produce electricity. And here we are, the bombshell came in the last few days from Ofgem, you know, which is the UK office for gas and electricity markets. It can no longer guarantee a supply from the Moffat pipeline to us. If that happens, and I'm not scaremongering, I'm just stating facts, it's going to be disastrous. That's the majority of our gas. That's 75% 75 of our gas. Of our gas. So, you know, what what McBarry was talking about there could be irrelevant. We won't have gas. We won't have electricity. And it's shocking that this has come about. You know, the warnings were there. The ESRI has ranked Ireland as one of the most energy insecure European nations. With the natural resources we have in Barry Row off Cork, uh, with um, uh, Inishke off Mayo, major natural resources Mm. unutilized. It's crazy, absolutely crazy. Considered opinion from experts and and from MEPs, for instance, Sean Kelly, the ex-president of the GAA, said Ireland would be, quote, mad, unquote, not to avail of such a terminal. Because the EU is going to provide 45% of the grant, it's going to provide 370 jobs, it's essential for Ireland to have gas storage facilities, and Eamon Ryan has refused that 650 uh, million euro investment um, by the American conglomerate, I think it's New Fortress Energy, to build the terminals in West Kerry. Now, okay, that's fair enough. The EU then offers the use of a floating LNG terminal. Okay, that's greener. Once again, blocked by Eamon Ryan, as such gas might come from fracking. Yeah. You couldn't write this, uh, but you did. You know, it it is. It's coming to a perfect storm because the forecast is disastrous for November and December. We're supposed to have an incredible cold snap, major demand for gas, major demand for electricity. And we probably won't be able to, you know, we'll end up with outages. It's facing that way. Ofgem stated clearly, and it was always on the cards, um, you know, that uh, we mightn't have a continuous supply. Britain are in, you know, everyone knows they're only the European Union. They're under no obligation to supply us. It should never have come to this. Okay. Gas, by the way, uh, 75% of it coming from the Moffat pipeline. Gas accounts for 81% of our energy at this time. Yeah. Well, it's, um, you know... this was flagged way back in March. You know, it was the Sunday Times a business section showed him and Ryan sitting on his bike with the caption um, how Ireland is freewheeling into a possible energy crisis. Well, it's not possible anymore. The crisis has arrived. And, you know, it showed um, Barry Rowe delayed. It showed the um, natural gas terminal down in the Shannon Estuary, again with the caption, delayed. And um, it's almost seven months later, nothing has happened. Okay, so Ireland, if I'm correct, has all of the oil, all of the gas and all of the wind it needs to be self-sufficient. But are, are you contending red tape and Emin Ryan are standing in the way? 
Absolutely, and he'll bring down the government if they vote against him. And no one wants to um, have another election. Uh, quite recently, I got on to the local uh, councillor for Sinn Féin. He didn't answer me. I got on to uh, Sinn Féin's head office and I asked them, what was their attitude towards this terrible situation of not utilising our natural resources? Pointing out Barrier Row and um, in Ishke, and saying that we have no natural gas storage facilities. They didn't reply. Yeah, Michael, it's already been well documented that the Barry Row prospect off the Cork coast uh, is the largest underdeveloped hydrocarbon field in Europe. Hundreds of billions of cubic feet of gas. But Eamon Ryan has ignored the overtures from Providence to allow the exploration and drilling. Airgrid has already halted the construction of data centres in Dublin, which are an integral part of what we call our technology ecosystem. Um, global technology firms will possibly withdraw from Ireland. Uh, Dave Murphy, who's, who's the CEO of Project Management, said, and uh, they're a leading engineering construction company, of course, uh, stated as a result of the AirGrid announcement, his business is being transferred to Belgium, the Netherlands and Denmark. And Denmark is is, is yeah. one man and one ideology and one party at risk of ruining the Irish economy? Yeah, I've been shouting about this for a long time now. I've been on your program before. I've written to Mick Barry, who was on just where they go, and I've been ignored. Okay. Where, where, I can't where, shout loud enough. Look, I, I don't want this to be a personal attack on Eamon Ryan, and I, I'm on record because I interviewed um, Michael McGrath, the Minister uh, for Public Expenditure, about six months ago. And I said, while I'm doing this job full-time and part-time for 32 years, I've met some clowns in the political arena. But my words were to Michael, I hold a special place in my comedic affections for your governor, government partner, Eamon Ryan, and his 10 cars per village and flower box ideology. Let, let, let me ask you this yeah. as, as a hypothetical, because I don't want to get litigated against this program, this radio station, or personally. Um, if, as you consider possibly, uh, Eamon Ryan is putting his own ide- ideologies and his party policies ahead of this nation's interest, is he in breach of standards in public office? He is, absolutely. And I have written to the commissioner and I have pointed this out. And they acknowledged it, but did nothing. Absolutely nothing. You're 100% correct. He's put his own um, ideology ahead of the national interest. Wow. Yeah, Thereby, by, ex- by extension, the government as a whole, you know, while Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael may want to save their own skins and, and cling to power with messianic devotion, the government as a whole will then fail its duty to the people if it doesn't immediately issue the appropriate authorization to commence absolutely. that exploration of Barry Row and Irish K. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. They're knowingly waltzing us into the energy mincer, as it were. Oh, yeah. And um, as again I said, Ofshem has dropped the bombshell. Everything is irrelevant if we don't have a continuous supply of gas. We'll be in the dark. It'll destroy our economy. Everyone. Uh, the 5.1 million living in Ireland will suffer and suffer badly because of one man. Okay. L- let me just put this into, into a more real context, if you like. We have an emergency plan for gas, ra- uh, gas rationing. Uh, and if that is deployed this winter... It's going to include all large energy-consuming businesses. This is going to affect employment. This is going to affect take-home. This is going to affect the economy as a whole. But it will more particularly affect all gas-fired plants who will undergo rationing. Now we're looking at hospitals, schools, 
and home heating. Now, these will only be prioritised and be rationed as a last resort. Uh, but what's going to be rationed before that? I know. I know. It's a very good question. It's, uh, and it's incredible that it has come to this with so much of our natural resources lying there because of the lack of a licence. Okay, so where do we need this LNG terminal? Do we, do we need two? We need one on the Shannon Estuary and one close to Cork? Well, you know, it has already been earmarked by um, New Phosphorus Energy. They're the suppliers of the liquefied natural gas. The one They said that Shannon is spade ready to start, just waiting to get the nod from the government to go ahead. It has been refused. They were building two down in West Kerry, all ready to go. And again, been refused. Incredibly, it's almost, um, you know, it's hard to understand why a minister in power can allow this to happen. In, the, in, in another era, I can say this openly, he would be guilty of high treason. Okay, that's th- th- those are strong words. <laughs> let, let's stick with the uh, seeing as he in breach of standards in public office, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Wh- okay. Wh- wh- where do we go from here? We're, we, you know, we've exposed something that is crucial to the continuing survival of our economic prosperity. Energy crisis, as it may be, homeless and health issues, as it may be, we do have a fairly robust and healthy economy. Is is this party and this man and this ideology putting it all at risk? It's putting everything at risk, you know. Um, we have to get this license issued to Barry Row immediately. We've got to get it issued uh, to Inishkay. We have got to get liquefied natural gas terminals set up. Everything is there waiting. The button has to be pressed and it has to be pressed now. Not any day later. Any day is, you know, is putting us more and more at risk. The ESRI spelt it out. We're the, one of the worst energy insecure nations, all because of the Green Party. I can't shout it any louder. Wow. The tail has certainly seemed to be wagging the dog, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, there was a, a ray of hope quite recently when our tarnister said, and I was amazed he said it, that the licenses have not been uh, refused. They have been refused. But if he's saying that they're, they're not refused, you know, there is a ray of hope. Uh, when you see um, a billionaire like um, Larry, um, uh, Larry Goodman um, putting in a Care- hell of a lot now. of money. Care- careful now. Right. Well, he's put a lot of money into Providence, you know, the owners of Barry Row. I, I, that is a ray of hope that something is happening behind the scenes. Yeah, well, I suppose Larry Goodman wouldn't be without his government connections, put it that way. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Okay, well, we need these, as unpalatable as they may seem, you know, to be to be exploiting the natural resources and bringing them ashore either to a, a you know, a liquefied natural gas storage facility or what may be more palatable, a huge, large floating facility. We, we need absolutely. that. We need that economic independence. And that economic independence is, and thanks to your article and bringing my attention to it, uh, it is ever more dependent on a, a constant, consistent supply of gas. We, of need, gas. we need to act. And the awful thing is, in this unprecedented era um, of energy crisis, we have the natural resources 
to make our country even more wealthy, to benefit every single citizen. We have it right here sitting on us, and we're not exploiting it. Okay, it's, Th- you know, thanks. It's hard to understand it. Th- thanks to the production team, I can uh, I can confirm here from an Irish Times article that beef magnate Larry Goodman has become the largest shareholder in Providence Resources uh, after almost doubling his stake. Uh, Providence announced its uh, results, its 2021 results, but the company's key Barrier oil and gas prospect off co- the coast of Cork remains in limbo, says the Irish Times, amid government delays in the issuing of a lease that would allow it to drill an appraisal well and source development funding. If this is as crucial uh, to our economy and our ongoing uh, robustness and, and, and our drive towards self-sufficiency, let's bring in all the renewables we can. We, we, we have Absolutely. enough, but we need to buy time. Yeah. I know we're spending 10 billion a year in importing fossil fuels. And we don't have to do that. We have it here. Okay. Very interesting, very engaging article. Uh, maybe it can be found online, but it's uh, in, uh, is it last Sunday, Sunday, Sunday Business Post? Or the previous one? Um, you know, it, well, the whole thing, um, you know, erupted when uh, Ofchem made that yeah. startling announcement. I could see it coming. Anyone could see it coming that was following what was happening. Yeah. I, I read a very, another very disturbing article. I'm kind of mentioning it yesterday. I didn't get into it in any detail. Uh, about 75% of the global internet power is, is, is in fibre cables north and south of this island, very much in proximity to Irish coastlines. If they were to be attacked, uh, like, wow. the, like, like, the, like the Nord gas pipelines, uh, then not only are we going to be in darkness, but we won't be able to even surf the net on our phones. I know, absolutely. That is terrifying. It's terrifying what's happening, all because of one man, Putin. Well, two men then. Michael, yes. <laughs> yes. Michael th- th- thanks for shedding light on, on this very, very serious topic. And let's see if we can jog the government into, into granting uh, those leases Brandon. and into shoring up our reserves to keep the country lit, working and prosperous. Right. Thanks, Thanks, Michael. Cheers. Bye-bye. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Jumping around the topics this morning and uh, happy now to go eventually to Paul. Thanks for holding, Paul. How are you? Not too bad, Mick. How are you, bye? I'm good. Now, you're in homeless services for almost a decade. Uh, You were on the program a few times. You went on the hunger strike last Tuesday. You came off the strike. You said you were suspending it. Uh, What's happened since? Um, the hunger strike was suspended, Mick, and um, I actually accepted the comments in okay. of the council. Um, but in the meantime, while I was waiting to be put into the comments in, I was still in the Vincent's, and there was um, a verbal disagreement between myself and another resident inside okay. the Vincent's. Um, it, it wasn't physical or anything like that, you know, and I was I, I was actually thrown out of the Vincent's because of a verbal disagreement between myself and another um resident inside there. Um like <clears throat> I then stayed out tonight. Um Jamie was actually thrown out as well, Mick. My brother. That's your brother Jamie. Yeah, um and he done absolutely nothing wrong inside in the Vincent's that night. Well, wasn't part of your campaign to improve facilities in Vincent's, to which you think they might be indebted to you Jamie, for trying? 
imp, there you go, Mick, and, like, I'm being targeted here, you know, like, the, and so is Jamie, because, he, just because he's my brother. You know, like, it's, that's not on, like, because I've raised the issues of the Vincents, because in my eyes, and in a lot of lads' eyes inside the Vincents, the conditions in there are uh, inhumane. They're horrible. Um, you, I first went in them doors seven years ago, Mick, and <clears throat> I back in here now this time, and nothing inside in that building changed. That building is being government funded, and the, the funding is not going into that building. Okay, now that that aside, the fact that you've been ejected from there, you've accepted a unit in the Commons Inn. Has that been withdrawn, or are you still taking that? Um, because of, and no, this is what um, they said to me from the APS through an email, that because, because there is an alleged incident that happened in the Vincent, they are withdrawn the accommodation in the Commons Inn. Okay. No, and like, you're, back on, you're back on hunger strike then? No, Mick, I can't do nothing, you know, because... I'm walking the streets, Mick. I'm out the last two days. I didn't even sleep. David, my brother's with me. He he can't go back into the winters because you know the whole thing is upside down, and the the APS should be appalled at themselves. It's a disgrace the way myself and my brother are after being treated. Okay, Paul, I'm going to have to leave it there, but happy to give you more airtime uh, as the situation develops, okay? Yeah, no bother, Mick. All right, thanks a million. Let's hope that uh, situation improves. Uh, Paul has uh, been ejected from the hostel, along with his brother Jamie, after a verbal uh, debate in the unit. Our Glentree Furniture Centre competition, coming up in a moment. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. 10 to 12 on this uh, Wednesday with the Neil Prendeville Show, and we were absolutely inundated by text following the uh, interview with Michael and the others on the special schools and the needs of children. Mick, there's a fabulous school for kids with additional needs in Carrick Tool. It's CETB run. Uh, shame on our government for not doing more for an Irish citizen. <clears throat> Get this crowd out immediately, uh, uh, says Lisa. Mick said that the government doesn't care about kids with special needs. If you think back to 2008, at the beginning of austerity, one of the first things the government cut back on was teachers uh, for special needs kids. I think that man is right, says Desi. Michael should claim to be Ukrainian and uh, he'll get help straight away. Our government don't care about the Irish. Michael is entitled to get money for transport if there's no bus available to take the children to school. I used to get it for my daughter before she got her bus. If bus air and pay the taxi drivers X amount per kilometre, why don't they pay the parents the same per kilometre to take their kids to school? At least that might help the school transport problem, says another texture. Mick Ann Rabbit, TD Finnafoyle, is the Minister in Charge of Children with Disabilities. Pat Rabbit, no relation. Uh, the government grandee is uh, chairman of Tusla. These are the people responsible for these poor families and other families suffering. No one else. What a dad. Most dads don't know the meaning of the word, says a texture. Mick, I have to drive 168 kilometres per day, driving my son to and from his school in a town far away from our house. I'm in the car for a minimum of three hours per day, driving on bad, bumpy country roads. The transport grant covers a small bit of my diesel bill, which is frighteningly high every week. But what about tyres and other maintenance on my car? 
I'm physically, mentally and emotionally drained, exhausted and burnt out. I mean, I can't come on air, but I do a school run with my taxi. We tendered in April 2021 for a five-year contract with diesel and petrol at their price back then. So I'd say some drivers handed back their runs due to the costs which have now led to a shortage. As well, if a taxi driver is renting a taxi plate or car and plate, or if he is 70 and over, they are not allowed to tender or drive for a school run, says a loyal listener. And one more on that. As long as the taxpayer is seen by Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael as the pair of last resort, then nothing will change bar a new government. Now, to our fun element of the programme today, the Glentree Furniture Centre uh, giveaway, €200 Euro voucher uh, coming up for somebody in the next few minutes. This is with Glentree Furniture and Dunmanway in-store or online. You can check out their huge selection of furniture, and this is a huge selection. Sofas, corner sofas, armchairs, tables and chairs, sideboards, beds, mattresses, slide robes, wardrobes, chests, lamps, pictures, rugs, carpets and flooring, all the top brands in there, you can check them out on glentreefurniture.ie. But who is this, admittedly, very easy to identify celebrity hiding behind the Glentry Furniture Centre Dunmanway sofa? Somehow I had a problem when I tried to say, I'll be back. The I'll sounded weird to me. So I said to the director, I, said that I think that I would say, I will be back. Not too difficult. Caller 12 on 0818 We're opening the lines right now. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Almost finished with the business of the day. As happens in live calls and live radio, we sadly had two callers. Caller 12, who phoned in. We put them on hold to surprise them. They hung up. Next caller, we put them on a hold to surprise them. They hung up. So we took the next caller uh, after two tries and uh, said that they were the winner. And that's Marion Duggan in Fairhill. And um, that, is she on the line? Uh, because we need to find out who, who's on the sofa. Marion Duggan, you were lucky that two other people hung up. Who is the uh, oh celebrity God, behind, behind? Do you need Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's very easy. Have another listen there. Somehow I had a problem. Ash, you know it's him straight away. Well done. 200 euro voucher. You can spend it online or take the trip to Dunmanway and see everything that's an offer. Uh, Online, glentryfurniture.ie. And of course, are you a fan of Friends? Yes. Well, okay, you might be on a head-to-head on Friday. In fact, you probably will be because the the top prize is €1,958, the Lazy Boy Spectator Chair. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, check out this family-run business in Dunmanway. Support them uh, in these difficult times as best you can because their selection is just huge. But for you today, a €200 voucher to spend with Glentree Furniture in Dunmanway. Well done to you, Marion Doug in uh, Fairhill. Finishing on... Thank you. you, Almost finishing now on an upbeat note. Uh, Serious topic, but Mags Toomey and her son Jonathan, who suffered a stroke whilst in Greece. We were talking to Mags yesterday. Their Go, uh, GoFundMe was just over £3,000 our euros when we spoke to her yesterday. It's now up to over 11000 So come on, people of Cork, we need all the help we can get. Search GoFundMe and please help to get Jonathan Tobin home. Now, uh, I'm not going to be able to play all the song, but because today, 60 years ago, the Beatles released their first song, which was Love Me Do. We put a Twitter poll in the field and uh, we picked five songs. Well, our computer did from the various genres of the Beatles' life. They were Help, All You Need Is Love, uh, This Boy, uh, In My Life and uh, Love Me Do Itself. OK, uh, my favourite song from their early career is This Boy. It got 5.3% of the vote. Go listen to it, people. But the winner, with 47.4% of the vote, to the opening strains of Les Marseillais. The Beatles and All You Need Is Love. 
The Beatles exploded onto the music scene 60 years ago today with the release of their first single. My thanks to the Neil Prendival Show production team, Kevin Galvin, Seamus Wheelahan and Claire O'Connor. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.